Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. All right, play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Mi amo a Wendell Wallace. Que pasa, mi amigos? Mi amo a Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. So doggone glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. Namaste, konnichiwa, shalom, wassalam alaikum, my brothers and sisters, to all the folks out there listening to this podcast. What is going on? Wendell's World in Sports, that's the podcast. Your host, yours truly, Wendell Wallace, giving good vibes, giving good communication, giving good energy, giving good chi for all of those out there. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening to this podcast. I hope you're doing everything that you need to do as far as a human being is concerned and as far as an individual is concerned to make your space, to make your neighborhood, to make your community, to make your block, to make your neighborhood, to make your region, to make your state, to make your country, to make your environment a better place to be. We do that through love. We do that through harmony. We do that through understanding. We do that through listening and learning. Regardless of the person's race, creed, or color, regardless of the person's political affiliation, regardless of what's going down any other place, we try to do what we can, humanly possible, to move this environment, to move the society in a positive direction. For my generation, it's far too late to make any type of drastic changes, to change some of the ills and change some of the deficiencies and change some of the the, the disease, which is racism and oppression and discrimination and white privilege and all of those type of things from my generation, the generation before me, gener- generation even after me, it's too late for making any type of uh, meaningful impact. But for those young cats out there and for those young cats who are going to be young adults and then be parents and then be leaders and be Folks are going to have to interact with everybody, and some of those folks might go into politics. Some of those folks might run for president. Some of those folks might be community leaders. Some of those folks might be police officers. For those folks, for that generation, let's start right now doing what we need to do to fill them with truth, with unity, with love, with understanding, with common sense, with the ability to listen to everybody, with their acknowledgement of privilege, with their... Acknowledgement that they'll do better with their acknowledgement of being open-minded. So again, in 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 years, when my generation is long gone, that uh, we'll be taking a look in, in the year 2087, that the kids who will be going to high school, the kids who will be going to middle school, the kids who will be going to elementary school will have the understanding that some of the things that affect the society right now and the environment right now with the racism, with the oppression, with the discrimination, with the misogyny and such will all be a thing of the past and we will be able to move to a place where everybody, regardless of gender, race, creed, color and such, will be able to treat one another with respect. So that's what we hope. And uh, yeah, that's part of what I do as far as Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast concerned. 
bring out that message while ripping folks in sports and talking about those in sports and praising those in sports and giving an honest opinion about what's happening currently in the world of sports. It's all about Wendell's world of sports with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. A lot of things that I want to get into today in the world of sports, the NFL news, the <laughs> Urban Meyer. Can I ask you a question, man? Exactly. What are you doing? Where are you going? What's happening? What, 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 what is this? If I'm a member of the Jacksonville Jaguars, if I'm a current member of the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'm questioning another move that's a head scratcher by new head coach of the Jaguars, Urban Meyer, striking again the signing of Tim Tebow. As first reported by the NFL Network, the 33-year-old is expected to sign a one-year deal with the team in the next week. We'll try to make the roster as a tight end. Of course, the question is, huh? The question is, why? He's never played tight end. Speaking of Tebow, he's never played tight end before in his football life, with the exception of a handful of snaps when he was with the New York Jets in 2012. He's never played tight end in a real football game for the most part ever. Not in high school, not in college, not in his previous three years in the NFL. He's never caught a pass in the NFL. He's never had the opportunity. He's never been asked to block linebackers or defensive ends. He's never uh, opened up holes for running backs. He's never been able to ask. He's never been asked to pick up a blitz situation as far as blocking is concerned. He's never fought off the linebacker and get into the open space to catch a pass and do some things. He's never done anything. So after being away from the NFL for eight years after trying for baseball and failing in that to come back and try to become a football player, when he's trying at a position that he's never played before, welcome to privilege, welcome to knowing somebody who will give you an opportunity. But again, what I'm going to be talking about in the next segment concerning this nonsense is, is there anybody there in the Jacksonville Jaguars organization that can explain to Urban Meyer how bad of an idea this is? And look, when I go ahead and I talk about this, I'm, I'm sick and tired I am sick and tired of people always starting off their criticism of Tim Tebow with, he's a nice guy, he's a great guy, I've met Tim Tebow and he's awesome, he's a great role model, he's a God-fearing, wonderful guy. This is not what it's all about, all right? I'm not talking about Tim Tebow, the human being. I mean, hell, if Tim Tebow wanted to go ahead and say hello to my goddaughter, Sydney Davis, I would be like, hell yeah, let's go, there we go. Good-looking guy, seems to be a really nice guy and all those type of things. That's not what I'm talking about. We're not talking about the Tim Tebow a nice guy. We're not talking about the Tim Tebow has great moral character and fiber. We're not talking about Tim Tebow being a wonderful human being. We're not talking about whether Tim Tebow should have his face painted on the side of a mountain. We're not talking about all that. We're talking about Tim Tebow once again coming back, trying to get a job at an NFL position that he's never played before. How ridiculous it is excuse me, how ridiculous it is and how it shouldn't be happening. And if Colin Kaepernick can't get an opportunity, but Tim Tebow can't, there's something wrong with the owners in the NFL and the league right now. Still, that's what we're, that's what we're talking about. So my criticism of Tim Tebow, the football player, is that of the football player, of, this, of, of him trying to come back and play. And really the criticism is going to be of Urban Meyer, who thinks that it's a good idea to let him do this. Why are they doing this? The chances of making the team are slim to none. Why did they sign him? To take pressure and attention off of Trevor Lawrence? To sell tickets? To get the Jacksonville community excited? To set a great example of leadership and commitment to his teammates? I don't get it. I don't understand it. So I'll be speaking about that today 
on the podcast. Also want to get to some NBA news. The Boston Celtics, as we know, the NBA playoffs are right around the corner. The Boston Celtics all-star Jalen Brown is out for the remainder of the season. The all-star guard has torn ligaments in his right uh, in his uh, left wrist and will miss the remainder of the season. This is what the team said on Monday. He was diagnosed, Brown was diagnosed with the injury over the weekend and is expected to have surgery sometime this week. So, you know, basically, what are we talking about here as far as the uh, Celtics playoff chances? After that embarrassing loss the other night to the Cleveland Cavaliers, they've now lost eight of their last 11. They're free-falling into the uh, playoff play-in game. They've Basically, they've situated themselves. They've guaranteed that they'll be in the play-in game, especially the way that Miami is whooping up on Philadelphia right now. But, you know, what, what what's going to be the expectations going into the playoffs before the news about Brown and now what are they? What are going to be their expectations? What's going to be the situation if, for instance, the Celtics flame out and even don't make the playoffs? They go ahead and lose right now to the Indiana Pacers, who hold the uh, number eight seed in the Eastern Conference. If the Celtics lose to um, Indiana and then they lose in the the, 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 the loser of the winner of the 9-10 seed, let's say they just lose to the Washington Wizards, so they're out of the playoffs altogether. Where is the blame going to come down? Again, is the seat going to get hotter for Brad Stevens, the coach of the Celtics? And let's say the Celtics are able to make the playoffs. Which team has a better chance of surviving a season-ending injury to their star player? Is it Boston overcoming the loss of Jalen Brown and his injury? Or is it Denver overcoming the injury to their star, Jamal Murray. So I'll get in and I'll talk about that quickly, man. In Major League Baseball here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. Woo, what is going on with the Los Angeles Dodgers, man? As of Tuesday, I know they won the other night against Seattle, but as of Tuesday, LA is 18-17, and 17, losers of eight of their last 10, while falling from first place to third place in the National League West behind the San Francisco Giants and the San Diego Chargers. Not just Chargers, but also the Padres. The Padres are charging past the Los Angeles Dodgers for second place in the National League West. So my question here is, man, how much damage did the Dodgers sustain after going up against the San Diego Padres? Because if you think about it, the first series against San Diego was on the road from April 16th to the 18th. They came into that series with an 11-2 record before winning two of three. And then that's when the prognosticators started talking about this has, you know, this team has a chance to win 116 games like the Seattle Mariners. And this team has a chance to be as dominant as the 1998 New York Yankees who won 114 games. This team has a chance to be one of the all-time greats. Their pitching staff is unbelievable. Their hitters are second to none, <clears throat> except for Kenley Jansen in the bullpen. I don't see a weakness at all concerning the Los Angeles Dodgers. I mean, we could be looking at a team like the 1984 Detroit Tigers who started off the season 35-5 and and then, you know, hauled ass and won the uh, World Series over the Padres. And they were platitudes going toward the Los Angeles Dodgers among that level after that first series against the Padres. Then the second series against San Diego at home at the Chavez Ravine, which was April 22nd to the 25th, they came into that series with a 14-5 record, and then they lost three or four games, including the series finale 
ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, a game that lasted, I don't know, seemed like, I don't know, 15 years. Um, eight to seven in extra innings. Fernando Tatis Jr. had an eye-opening, I'm an MVP caliber, caliber type performance during that series. He had consecutive home runs and consecutive games, hitting them off, uh, consecutive Cy Young winners, taking Clayton Kershaw deep and all of those things. And it was like, wow, wait a minute, man. In fact, I had a uh, podcast speaking about, man, after that series with the Los Angeles Dodgers, the the Major League Baseball has themselves a superstar here as Fernando Tatis. What are they going to do to capitalize on this? I mean, he was at that level after that series against the Dodgers at Chavez Ravine. Well, after that series ended, now going back to the Dodgers, they've gone three and ten. They've lost five consecutive series for the first time since the stretch run of the 2017 season. They've gone 5-15 and 15 for the first time since the early portion of the 2018 regular season. Man, what, what is going on here? Now, of course, we're only speaking about, you know, May. We're speaking about late April. So, yeah, I'm not talking about all of a sudden Dave Roberts needs to get fired. They need to make some changes, and it should be panic time in L.A., I think this is a situation where they're now prisoners of what people's thought process was and uh, concerning how great this Los Angeles Dodgers was supposed to be, were supposed to be this season. I mean, in terms of concern, are you concerned? Are you annoyed? Are you ho-hum? Are you big deal? Let me know when September rolls around. I mean, exactly where are we here with the Los Angeles Dodgers after this swoon? I mean, this is not a situation where... You know, they lost a series, or this is not a situation where they're in sort of a mini type of slump. I mean, we're speaking about 13, 14, 15 games. Now, in 162, ooh, but, but still, are we starting to see some patterns here? Are we starting to see some maybe roadblocks down the, down the road here? Don't think that the San Francisco Giants have the juice to stay in first place in the NL West. Don't think the San Diego Padres, especially now with uh, Tatis, contracting the COVID disease or the COVID virus. We don't know exactly how he's going to recover from that. We don't know how long it's going to take for him to get back to the Fernando Tatis that lit up the new, that lit up the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers a couple of uh, series ago. So I think in all actuality, I think when everything, when the dust is settled, to use that cliche, I think that the Dodgers are going to be fine and be in first place. But I think this is a situation where, all of a sudden, the Dodgers go from being one of the greatest teams who's ever going to be playing Major League Baseball to one that just won 5-15 and 15 for the first time since the early portion of the 2018 season and has gone 3-10 and 10 in their last 13 games. So now I think um, they're, if the fans are genuinely concerned, I think it's based on the expectations that Los Angeles would challenge the Seattle Mariners for the most wins in the season at 116 or challenge the dominance of the 1998 New York Yankees when they won 114 games and cruised on to winning the World Series. So, look, the Dodgers have the best major league. You know, they have the they have a major league leading uh, ten games by one. They've, they've what am I trying to say here? God damn it! Basically, they've been kind of squeaky, kind of shaky in one run games. Over the last couple of games, they'll be fixing that. And they have a run differential of 32, which is first in the National League. So I'm not going to be sitting up here. I'm not going to be panicking about the Los Angeles Dodgers. They should be fine, but at least something early in this 
regular season is something maybe that you should look at. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Boxing, the pound-for-pound king's quest to be the undisputed super middleweight champion, champion continues. Saul Canelo Alvarez stopped Billy Joe Saunders at the end of the eighth round to win the WBO super middleweight belt and give Saunders his, Saunders his first loss in his career while, I don't know, man, basically breaking, breaking the guy's face with an uppercut in round seven. Competitive fight. Interesting fight. It was uh, electric. It was awesome. But uh, Saunders fought pretty well. I think if it was uh, another opponent in another venue, that the scorecards would have been more reflective of how close I thought the fight was. I thought um, Saunders won uh, more rounds than what some of the judges gave him credit for. But when you're speaking about a bunch of Mexicans down near the uh, Mexican border, as in the Jerry world, in a situation like this, and with Canelo being the champion, being the pound-for-pound king, it's going to take a little bit more for Billy Joe doing what he was doing to impress the judges in that environment. But um, it was awesome to see that fight. And the fight was in front of, what, over 73,000, breaking all the COVID-19 protocol rules and health requirements at Jerry World at Texas Stadium. Not too many mask-wearing folks at that event. Not too many folks staying staying, uh, six feet apart. For Canelo, we're breaking the rules. For Canelo, we're getting COVID. For Canelo, we're putting our health on the line, baby. Dr. Fauci, you can go take a flying flip when it comes to Canelo and wearing masks and being responsible and making sure there's a little bit of distance. <laughs> that bullshit is over. It has been over a year, and them folks down in Texas were like, we're watching Canelo fight tonight at Jerry World, so damn that nonsense. We are going, going, going. So 73,000 people went in to watch that fight when Canelo, at the um, when he was starting to, to uh, take control at the end of round seven, and he started waving the crowd on and everything like that, the sound of the crowd, man, did I miss that. After watching sports for over a year now and not having the crowd really get into it and everything, man, it was nice. Man, it was sweet. Man, it was electric. Man, it got my juices flowing. Man, it got me even more excited to hear that crowd roar in its approval and roar in its excitement and roar in its bloodlust, knowing that um, Canelo was about to hurt this cat and hurt Billy Joe pretty badly. So it was awesome, man. The fight broke the attendance record for the largest indoor attendance for a boxing event in America. The previous mark was 63,350 at the Louisiana Superdome for the Leon Spinks-Muhammad Ali rematch in 1978, what many uh, people thought would be Ali's last fight. So 37-year-old Muhammad or 36-year-old Muhammad Ali after sleepwalking through the first fight against Leon Spinks, a guy who had only, what, seven or eight fights or something like that, claimed the fame when him and his brother Michael medaled at the 1976 Olympics. But, uh, you know, Ali was old. Spinks came into that fight out of shape and too much partying from the guarantee or the amount of money he was going to be making at the rematch. So it was a boring fight. Ali, of course, at the end, punch and hold, punch and hold, punch and hold, and hang on. So compared to this fight, as far as Canelo versus Billy Joe was concerned, much better, much, much better. So the 73,000 was apropos in terms of if you're going to break that record, at least for right now, you do it 
the environment was awesome, and you do it with the best fighter in the world right now. So it was sweet. It was wonderful. And again, man, it was awesome to hear that roar of the crowd down there. So what's next for Alvarez? Where are we going here? What are we talking about? His goal is winning all four belts in the 168-pound division, becoming the first undisputed champion in the modern era, the first Mexican to uh, achieve such a feat. That would put him at a place where Chavez and uh, Salvador Sanchez and all the other great uh, boxing legends of Mexicano descent couldn't go. But uh, that's what he wanted to do. So next in line would be Caleb Plant. That is the IBF super middleweight champion. So Plant, who's an American from Tennessee, is undefeated at 21-0 with 12 KOs. So this would be a really good uh, fight to make. You can keep it over here, do it in September, have it over at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas, another outdoor stadium. Um, let's, man, let's, let's get it together. And as far as, you know, the TV contracts and who's fighting who and who fights where and all this other stuff, man, let me tell you something. Canelo Alvarez runs boxing. Canelo Alvarez is the cock of the walk, shall we say. And for Caleb Plant, who, again, super middleweight champion, undefeated, fantastic. He doesn't have a shot against Canelo Alvarez. Doesn't have a shot. But I tell you what, you go ahead and you do this, you fight this guy, you're going to make more money than you'll ever make in your entire boxing career. So I have no idea. I would have no explanation. I would have no reasonable thought why Caleb Plant wouldn't say, yeah, man, let's go ahead and do this. Now, it might be a situation where, look, once Canelo beats the shit out of me, my earning power might be diminished a little bit because I'll no longer be undefeated. I'll no longer be a champion. So somehow, somewhere, y'all got to compensate me a little bit more than probably what you want to compensate me for. Canelo, of course, being the champion. Canelo, of course, being the headliner. Canelo, of course, being the guy who's going to drive the tickets and drive pay-per-view and or if it's on zone and drive um, subscriptions to zone and the fact that he's becoming or he's trying to become a four-time uh, champion in the weight division. That's a good storyline that we can go with. So everything is going to be centered around Canelo. So, of course, Alvarez is going to make the most of um, most of the money for this fight. But, yeah, man, if I'm Caleb Plant, I'm a champion, too, and I deserve a little bit more money than what y'all are looking to give me. So, you know, there we go. So that that would uh, that would be the logical choice, right? But if Plant is more concerned about his belt and his long-term health than fighting Alvarez and cashing in that uh, mega cashing in that lottery ticket, I mean Canelo has other avenues he can go to. In fact, probably a more lucrative and a more uh, interesting fight for. Canelo would be the third fight against Triple G. That, that's easy money. He would make more money, have an easier time, and enhance his legacy even more by vanquishing one of the better fighters of his generation in Gennady Golovkin. So, look, Gennady, because of that, for that paycheck, I'm quite sure that he would move, move up to 168 to challenge Canelo. But you're speaking about Triple G, who's, what, 37, 38 years old? Don't, don't think that would happen. Don't think that that would be much of a fight. But the interest would be there. The pay-per-view numbers or the zone or wherever they show that bad boy, it would be there. Canelo would make a boatload of money uh, from that fight because Triple G is a more known commodity than Caleb Plant. So if I'm Triple G, if I'm uh, 
Canelo Alvarez is like, all right, Caleb, you know, you want to sit there and bullshit and not uh, take this lottery ticket? That is perceived by that's going to uh, uh, be followed by the ass whooping I'm going to be giving you? Fine. You go ahead and do that. There's much more, many more avenues for me to make a boatload of money than for you. So that's what's going to be talked about on the podcast today. We've got NFL. We've got uh, NBA. We've got some uh, boxing to talk about. We've got a lot of good things to talk about. We've got this under one groove, under one nation, under a groove, under one nation speaking about sports, under one nation getting down and doing what we need to do to make this an entertaining, compelling, thought-provoking, and unique podcast, sports talk podcast. You've never heard a podcast like this before. You've never heard a sports talk podcast before. You've never heard anything as far as what I'm going to be giving it to you with the amount of passion, with the amount of energy, with the amount of enthusiasm that I'm going to be giving it to you. So as I go ahead and get myself ready, as I go ahead and we start this podcast, let's get down and let's boogie. One nation under this groove. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. As I mentioned before in the first segment, let me get into a little Tim Tebow. Again, the Jacksonville Jaguars are expected to sign. What we call Tim Tebow? Huh? What the the uh, Mike Lindell, Tony Robbins, Joel Olstein, Kim Kardashian of, of the uh, of the sporting world of the NFL. Tim Tebow, age 33, expected to sign a one-year contract later this week or next week to play tight end, hopefully for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, a source confirmed to ESPN, oh, sorry, a source confirmed to ESPN, the tight end is a position he has never played in high school, college, or his previous three years at the NFL. He hasn't played football, speaking of Tebow, since the 2015 NFL preseason. He spent the past six years working as a broadcaster on the SEC Network and working on his professional baseball career. How did that work out? Of course, the chances of making the team as a tight end are slim, slim to none. There are five other tight ends on the roster who have played at least the position in college and in the NFL. So if we're speaking about Tebow making the team, he would have to outperform not just one, maybe two of those tight ends to make it to the roster. Now, we're, we're not speaking about prime years, Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates. We're not, we're not, we're not speaking about Kellen Winslow. We're definitely not speaking about his son. Jeez. So we're not speaking about a Hall of Fame tight end room when we're speaking about tax, uh, Jacksonville. Um, their tight ends, Ben Ellison has, has one career catch. Tyler Davis has played in eight games. Played in eight games last season for the Jaguars after they selected him in the sixth round of last year's draft. Luke Farrell with the team's fifth round draft pick this season. So the tight ends on the roster besides those three with the most NFL experience, we're talking about James O'Shaughnessy, who caught 
who has caught 88 passes in his six NFL seasons. He caught 28 passes for 262 yards last season. And Chris Manhurt, six seasons in the league with Carolina, has caught eight passes total in his career. He's mainly used as a guy who's going to block. So even though, again, we're not, we're not speaking about the creme de la creme of tight ends, the fact that you have a guy here who's 33 years old, he hadn't played professional football in six years, uh, to come in, change, and switch to a position that he has never played except for a handful of snaps for the New York Jets is foolhardy, is ridiculous in terms of why would he even get an opportunity to go ahead and do that. Now, look, there's been other examples. Brock Lesnar uh, got a tryout with the Minnesota Vikings uh, a couple of years ago when he was at his athletic prime. So Tebow's not breaking any new ground. I mean, there was a long time ago. I remember, oh, what was it? Um, I'm quite sure Usain Bolt wanted to go ahead and try out at wide receiver and get invited to an NFL camp that NFL teams during that time would have gone ahead and see what they can do to try to bring him in to see what they could do to make him some type of wide receiver, to make him some type of threat or that type of deal. So, I mean, Tebow's not breaking any new ground on this. Lesnar played football, I believe, in high school, but he never played football in college, never played football in the NFL, never had a tryout in the NFL. Lesnar was a guy who was a uh, wrestling champion while he was in uh, college, and then he went on to the WWF, uh, now known as the WWE, before making the move over to mixed martial arts. And I think I think that was in between. I think after he left WWE, he tried to uh, do the NFL thing. And then that, when that didn't work, he went ahead and um, <clears throat> had a brief but spectacular w, uh, a UFC career. But, I mean, this is a situation again where, you know, T- Tebow going to go ahead and try to uh, do this. So, again, why is Urban Meyer even considering this? Why is, even, why is Urban Meyer even bringing this in, bringing, bringing him in to sell more tickets to get more attraction, attention for the team. Look, the Jaguars are already, you know, have a nice increase and in, in a big boost in the ticket department, thanks to the hiring of Meyer. And then with the addition of Trevor Lawrence, the first overall pick, you know, a transcendental, a trans, uh, you know, a, 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 a pick that's supposed to be as great as Trevor Lawrence. You know that the jerseys are going to be flying off the shelf. So, you know, he's going to be ranked near number one, if not number one, as far as Jersey sales is concerned coming up because of his reputation, because of what he did in college, because of his known commodity of what he did when he was playing football at the university of Clemson, urban Meyer, hate him, like him, love him, whatever, especially if you're speaking in the Jacksonville area has a tremendous following has a tremendous uh, popularity quote with the uh, team. So, you know, that's not a problem. Bringing in Tim Tebow was not going to, um, you know, all of a sudden motivate the fan base to all of a sudden buy season tickets. And even before the draft, the sales office had eight times the number of new deposits compared to the previous several seasons. And the team said that more than 50% of those deposits are from people who had never previously bought a ticket of any kind with the Jaguars. So just the hiring of Urban Meyer has resuscitated some of the interest within the Jacksonville community concerning its professional football team. So uh, bringing in Tim Tebow, what's exactly got that going to do? 
especially when the chances of Tebow making the team are slim. What are you going to do? Are you going to charge for uh, people to see him during training camp? And even if he does make the team, all of a sudden now Tebow playing tight end is supposed to be the it's supposed to be the uh, the fuse that's going to light the the ignition for this huge fan support in the Jacksonville area concerning this team. Come on, man, get out of here. So I I I don't believe that bullshit. I don't believe that nonsense in terms of this is just a a, a media ploy. This is just a ploy by the Jaguars to garner some attention and to garner some fan base and garner new interest in the football team. So I, I don't believe that at all. Uh, there was an argument made and making the argument about Tebow being on the Jacksonville Jaguars and being made on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, bringing Tebow in for leadership, right? You heard that one before? We're bringing him in for leadership, learning the Urban Meyer way of doing things, him teaching, counseling, going over, nurturing the players, who haven't been through Urban Meyer, who hasn't been coached by Urban Meyer and all those type of things. Well, that's nonsensical and hogwash also because Jacksonville has enough veteran players that can teach the younger players how to be professionals. And guess what? Guys like Carlos Hyde, running back, left guard Andrew Norwell, defensive end um, Lettering McCray, tight end Luke Farrell, they play for Myers in college. So assistant coach Charlie Strong, you remember him? Used to coach at Texas. He was the defensive coordinator on both of uh, Myers' title teams at Florida. So there's already people in the building. There's already coaches there. There's already players there of greater consequence and impact and responsibility toward the Jaguars winning. Then, you know, they, they don't need to bring Tim Tebow in there. Because Carlos Hyde has a better chance, much better chance, infinite better chance of making the squad than Tim Tebow. And he's a veteran who can teach these guys the Urban Meyer way because he played for Meyer. Norwell, same thing. McRae, same thing. Farrell, same thing. Charlie Strong, same thing. So I, I, I don't get that. And then you have other professionals on that roster who, have, who are in NFL veterans, like Marvin Jones II. Miles Jack, Joe Schobert, um, Brandon Linder, Jarrett Wilson. There's enough guys on there. What do, you, what do you need Tim Tebow there for? And guess what? These guys have actually accomplished something in the NFL. They just weren't flashing the pants. They just weren't bullshit artists. These guys actually have done something, have done it on a consistent basis throughout their NFL career. So what, what's going on about we're going to bring in Tim Tebow to teach these guys how to do some things? For what? Tim Tebow hasn't been in the NFL. Tim Tebow hasn't been associated with the NFL. Tim, Tim Tebow hasn't been following the trends of the NFL. What's Tim Tebow going to teach somebody who's been in the league three or four years already? What, he's a workout maniac? That he's a competitive guy? Which guy in the NFL is not competitive? Which guy in the NFL is not a guy who acts like a true professional for the most part? Again, those guys aren't going to exist. And if those guys are unprofessional, and if those guys don't know how to work hard, and if those guys don't know how to get themselves ready to be professional football players, to get themselves ready for a professional football team, or get themselves ready for a professional football game, guess what? Tim Tebow is not going to be the one to change them around. Oh yeah, you know, I've been in the NFL for five or six years, and you know, I was lazy, and I really didn't do anything, and I really wasn't dedicated to the game, and I really wasn't that competitive, and I was just skidding by on my good looks and my talent. But all of a sudden, Tim Tebow came along, 
and just changed my whole way. Urban, let me tell you something, man. If you're going to have somebody like that on your team, get rid of him ASAP. Because Tim Tebow is not going to save him. Carlos Hyde had a better chance of saving him. Andrew Noel has a better chance of saving him. Charlie Strong has a better chance of saving him. Marvin Jones Jr. has a better chance of saving him. Miles Jack has a better chance of saving him. Brandon Linder has a better chance of saving him. Tim Tebow, why would anybody listen to Tim Tebow? Why would anybody who's played in the NFL a certain amount of years over the past certain amount of seasons, why would they then go ahead and listen to a guy who hadn't played football in six years? Why would they listen to a guy who failed in the NFL six years ago, then went to try Major League Baseball and failed in that? Why, why would they listen to Tim Tebow all of a sudden? That's gonna that's who's going to change their careers? That's going to change bad habits? Tim Tebow? Because he knows Urban Meyer's way and he can lead by example by his competitive fire? Come on, man. Get out of here with that bullshit. This ain't college, Urban. This isn't Ohio State or Florida or Utah or Bowling Green, man. And you know that. But again, where is Trent Baalke, the GM? Where is somebody with some NFL experience in that organization to say, bad idea, Urban, really bad idea. I've been with enough NFL teams. I've been in these NFL circles long enough to let you know I've been in too many locker rooms for too many years to uh, know that this shit ain't going to work. This nonsense ain't going to fly. You're not going to garner any type of, type of confidence in the locker room. By doing this nonsense, you already had strike one by bringing in or trying to bring in a strength and conditioning coach who was known for having racist tendencies and views and treating people unfairly at the University of Iowa. And you were going to try to bring him in in terms of being your strength and conditioning coach. Okay, that's strike number one with a lot of those guys in the locker room. Now you're playing favors and throwing out a lifeline and doing a... And, and, and doing a that's, a, that's a cool thing to do with a Tim Tebow just because, you know, he got you some publicity and he got you a fat contract and he got you some fame and fortune at the University of uh, Florida. That, that you know, kind of give you a, a what's up, kind of give you a solid on that. That shit ain't going to work in the locker room, man. It's not. And you could talk about the age group or the fact that the Jaguars are a young team and you can bring all that to the forefront, but these guys know that that shit don't fly. And they know, Urban, that you're unproven. Every single day you walk into that building, every single day you face them, every single day that you talk to them, every single day that you're with them trying to build that relationship. They know a bullshitter when they see it. They know a guy who's got it and a guy who doesn't. They can tell. They know a guy who's fit for the job and a guy who's not. They can tell a Matt Rule from a Bobby Petrino. They can tell a Lou Holtz from a Pete Carroll. They know. They can tell a Steve Spurrier from a Barry Switzer to a Jimmy Johnson. They, they know. They, can, they, they know which one of these college guys is for real in terms of being able to be successful in the pros and the ones who aren't. In Urban, right now, strike two with this nonsense. If he doesn't make the team, what the hell? What good would that bring? And you could be talking about, well, you know, big deal. One player ain't going to mean that much. It's, it's just not that. The fact that how Tebow even got the opportunity to begin with. This isn't some undrafted rookie coming in and getting cut after trying to uh, make the team as a tight end. 
No, this is a guy who is not qualified to play the position, is not qualified to get the opportunity, and does nothing to improve your team, does nothing to improve the guys within the locker room, their morale, their confidence in you, building character, building your philosophy. You're going to bring in Tim Tebow for that? Especially for the guy in Urban Meyer who hasn't coached, done anything in the NFL ever? You're going to be bringing in Tim Tebow? Again, did you check with anybody? You see if this was a good idea? Because I'm, I'm here to tell you, from the outside looking in, it's not. One of the biggest things that Meyer is going to have to learn being a coach of the NFL, look, man, there's only one Bill, Bill Belichick in this league, all right? And Bill Belichick can be Belichick, Bill Belichick for one reason and one reason only. He had proven that he's a winner. He's the only coach in the league that could get away with some bullshit like this and not lose the majority of those in the locker room or the confidence of his core players. Bill Belichick is the only one. Possibly, maybe, Andy Reid. Bruce Arians couldn't get away with this bullshit. Pete Carroll couldn't get away with this bullshit. You know, Kevin Stefanski couldn't get away with this bullshit. Ron Rivera couldn't get away with some nonsense like that. Sean Payton couldn't get away, couldn't get away with some nonsense like that. Not, um, not to these levels. And I'm quite sure that if Belichick did do some bullshit like this, that his core players, that his veteran players... They would be salty, not salty enough to cause a fuss, to cause a ruckus, to cause any type of dissension, to uh, cross cross eyes with Belichick. Because again, a Belichick's success that he's had as a coach in the NFL, but Bill Belichick is the only coach that could get away with some bullshit like this. And guess what? Urban Meyer hasn't won six championships as a coach. He hasn't been to the Super Bowl eight or nine times or ten times as a head coach. He hasn't worked as a defensive coordinator under Bill Parcells, coaching one of the best players in NFL history and Lawrence Taylor, who will give him the utmost and greatest of respect and win two championships as a defensive coordinator with the New York Giants. That resume, those accolades, those letters of recommendation by Bill Belichick would allow him to go away and go ahead and do some stuff like this. Urban Meyer, who gives a fuck how many championships you won in college? We don't give a damn how many times you won the SEC. We don't give a damn what your record at Bowling Green was. We don't care how many first-round draft choices you produced. We don't care about your Heisman Trophy winners. We don't care about any of that stuff. Who cares? That's college, man. That's a boys, that's boys town. Now you're speaking about going to the men's league. There's men up here. NFL, not for long if you don't get it done. Winning college championships with teenagers while having no resume as a coach in the men's league. This is this that shit is not gonna fly. It's not gonna get it done. Now, who knows? Maybe Tebow will shock the world, shock me, and be a guy who's gonna make the team. Even if he makes the team, what is he going to do? Was all of a sudden now he's gonna become um, you know, a, a tight end du jour? He's gonna become a guy who's gonna be making some type of impact? I don't see it. I mean, there's so much to learn. If you're going to be making that move, you're not going to be able to do that in one training camp and then get back, then get on the field that same season and make any type of positive contribution. So this would be a long-term goal to begin with, with a guy who's 33 years old. So what you're going to do? You're going to you're going to have him learn the position, and then maybe put him in in what week eight, week 14, week 17 for a team that's going to be at the time two and 13. 
for a team that's going to be at the time four and ten. Hey man, your main goal, your main energy, your main focus should be on what we're going to be doing with Trevor Lawrence. Everything should be revolving around Trevor Lawrence. Everything should be working upon Trevor Lawrence. If now Jacksonville should be Lawrence Town. Anything within that Jacksonville organization should be centered, should be focused, should be thought about concerning the development of Trevor Lawrence. And bringing in a sideshow clown like Tim Tebow does nothing for the maturation, for the development as far as uh, Trevor Lawrence becoming the quarterback that many people expect him to be. Because this could be a horrible, horrible start for an NFL career for a guy who's supposed to be transcendent. If you're going to have a college coach who's never done anything before, and this is the way he's going to run his organization, and Trevor Lawrence going into his NFL, starting his NFL career, this is the only thing that he's going to know. So at the time where you're going to be building, from the time that you're maturing as an NFL player, learning the league, learning what is it, what it is in the locker room, learning a new environment, and you're going to have this sideshow, you're going to have this clown, you're going to have these clown moves. I mean, if this doesn't work... What is that locker room going to be like? And how bad is that locker room going to get? And then you're going to have someone like Trevor Lawrence in there? And let me tell you something. Trev might have been the man and organized all these things for Black Lives Matter movement and everything that's happening on campus and trying to get the ACC and trying to get college football to resume. All that's awesome. All that's great. All that's fantastic. All of that speaks of a guy who has the potential to be a real leader of a franchise, but it ain't going to happen his first year. Trevor Lawrence, the leader that we saw in Clemson, that we saw at Clemson, that ain't going to formulate day one. That journey starts day one in terms of him getting to the point where grown men who do this for their livelihood, who have their own brands, who have their own families to take care of them stuff, it's going to take a while. It's going to take a little bit for those guys to trust Trevor Lawrence. So Trevor Lawrence coming into a to his rookie season is not going to be able to supersede the nonsense and the dysfunction of an Urban Meyer locker room because he still thinks that he's at Ohio State and he still thinks that he can do the same shit. He still thinks he can wield the same power. He still thinks that he can go ahead and talk to these players and treat these players like he did when they were 18 and 22 years old, no, 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 still doing it the college way, still doing it the Florida way. What is the Urban Meyer philosophy? How do we know if it works in the NFL? He's never been in the fucking NFL. So this whole Tim Tebow thing just reeks of this shit is going to have negative ramifications far deeper than uh, maybe, maybe we know. And again, I'm not in, I'm not interested in hearing about Tim Tebow being a nice guy. I'm not interested in Tim Tebow being, you know, I'm not, that's not part of the conversation. Well, this is not his fault. Well, he's not bringing the circus. Well, he's in, uh, no, 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 no. I don't give a shit about that. I don't give a damn about that. Don't care. I'm going to criticize Tim Tebow. Why? Because Tim, Tim Tebow in this situation needs to be criticized. Period. I don't give a fuck if he's a great guy. I don't care if he's a nice guy. Who cares? That's not the conversation that we're having here. You want to talk about nice guys who who tried to succeed at multiple pro sports and have failed? Hell, I'll put Tim Tebow near the top of the list of the nicest of guys who have failed in not just one sport, but two sports professionally. No doubt, I'll have that conversation all night long. But we're not having that conversation right now. 
were mainly centered around what the hell is Urban Meyer doing with the Jacksonville Jaguars? And what the hell are people doing in that organization to let him go ahead and do these things? Setting up a recipe of disaster. And again, you have got yourself a Trevor Lawrence. You had just won the lottery, man. Getting that number one draft pick was akin to winning the lottery. And Trevor Lawrence is that mega bucks, is those millions that you just got. Now, you got the ticket, you cashed it in, you got the money. Now, what the fuck are you going to do with it? Are you going to buy 13 houses, 12 cars, spend boatloads of money on skanks and strippers and whores, and lend out money to Uncle Dennis and Aunt Mary and all these other motherfuckers, and two months later or two years later, you're flat broke and miserable? Or are you going to invest that money? Are you going to tell the folks who are looking for a handout to get the hell away from me? Are you going to be sensible with your money? Are you going to be smart with your money? Are you going to be hiring good people to make sure that your money is taken care of? What are you going to do with that money if you win that lottery? That's the same thing goes with the Jacksonville Jaguars. You got yourself a lottery ticket. You won a lottery ticket, and his name is Trevor Lawrence. So are you going to... Bring this guy into an organization that's dysfunctional, an organization that's inept, an organization that doesn't know what the hell they're doing, an organization that's led by a guy who still feels that he's the king of college, a guy who's going to be trying to do it the college way and not the pro way, a guy who's going to go down the same path of a Bobby Vitrino, same path of a Steve Spurrier. Are we going to go down that route? The same path of a Bud Wilkinson when he was with the St. Louis Cardinals? The same path of uh, Lou Holtz when he was with the New York Jets. Are we going to go down that same path and ruin that lottery pick? And ruin that lottery millions? And ruin Trevor Lawrence? Or are we going to be smart like Jimmy Johnson was? Are we going to be smart like Pete Carroll was? Are we going to be smart like it seems Matt Rule is? What are we going to do here? What are we going to do? So far, if I'm a fan of Jacksonville... Bringing in Tim Tebow after six years to play a position that he's never played before, 33 years old, even though the chances of him making the squad are slim to none. If I'm a Jacksonville Jaguar fan already, four months before the season starts, I'm leery. I'm very leery about how this is going to work out.
Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So many things to talk about today in the world of sports. The NFL schedule is going to be released, has been released. I don't know exactly when you're listening to this podcast, but um, whether you're listening to it on a Wednesday when it's being recorded, when it actually, the schedule is going to be released later on today, or you're listening some other time. One thing I'm not going to be getting into for the most part, I'm not going to be breaking down, not going to be going over the NFL schedule in terms of in this totality. I know people are sitting there talking about, ooh, you know, Christmas coming early. The NFL schedule is out. Let's go ahead and start planning. And let's start prognosticating who's going to be winning the NFC West and who's going to be winning the AFC South and who's going to be the Super Bowl champion and who has an easy schedule, who has a hard schedule and whose team is going to benefit the most because of the schedule. And week 11, who do you think is going to win between this team and that team? And looking at some of the matchups and taking a look at some of the revenge games and players who were traded or players who were left from one team to go to another team. And then that team the new team that they're on is going to be playing that old team in week 11 and what's going to be their thought pattern, what's going to be their thoughts or feelings, revenge games, I'll show you games, screw you games, all of this stuff. I just, I can't get into it. Can't really buy into it. Really can't get excited about it. I just can't. It's May for heaven's sake. The NBA playoffs are going to be starting soon. The National League hockey playoffs are going to be starting soon. Major League Baseball is on right now. There's so many other things that draw my interest other than week 14 between the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Houston Texans, who do you think is going to win? What do you think is going to happen? What records will be? Who's going to be in first place? Who's going to be in last place? I just, I just can't go there. Not in May. Not in May. In fact, this might be the last time, unless Aaron Rodgers does something in terms of where he wants to be and something happening with that situation or anything else of any importance. I'm not going to sit here and pontificate uh, in May, something about the NFL in terms of, uh, well, you know, who you think is going to be the uh, best, NFL, who, who you think is going to be the best running back next year? What quarterback is going to have the biggest impact? What rookie quarterback is going to be the first one to start? What rookie quarterback is going to be the one who's going to make the biggest impact and which one is going to be a bust? Which new coach is going to be the most successful? And I, I just, I can't, I can't do all that. I really can't. I just, we're, we're talking about this in May. Now, if you ask me sometime in September, if you ask me sometime in October, you ask me sometime in November, you know, maybe I might get into it just a little bit. But when we're speaking about now, a 17-game schedule, anybody who knows anything about the NFL knows that, man, you can't make any prognostication for real. Forget May when the schedule first comes out. Man, you can't do that in August or July, late July, August, when training camps start. You can't make those type of predictions in the preseason when those preseason games start. You can't even make those type of predictions halfway through the NFL season. How many times have we seen teams start off hot, start off cold in the NFL season, and then the team that starts off hot falters and doesn't make the playoffs, or the team that starts cold gets on a hot winning streak, makes the playoffs, and sometimes they win a Super Bowl. We don't know anything in terms of who's going to be doing what, what's going to be happening till about, I don't know, maybe sometime in November. But September and October, in terms of my thought pattern, is like, you know, I'm just going to enjoy the game. Being a Washington football fan, I'm just going to enjoy the game, no matter what the record is after September, no matter what the record is after October. I'm just going to go ahead and enjoy these games because we really can't, get the complete picture of what a team is going to be, what a team is going to look like, what a team, where a team is going to be going for the most part 
until sometime late October, early November. Because I remember the first couple of games this season after that win against Philadelphia that the Washington football team looked horrendous. The Washington football team looked terrible. But guess who wound up winning the NFC least? The Seattle Seahawks came out of the season guns a-blazing. Russell Wilson looked like the clear-cut MVP. But guess what happened? They went through a lull when they started losing games. Wilson started losing the shine. The defense, who the first part of the season you thought was going to be one of the worst defenses statistically in NFL history, they turned it around and basically saved the season when they did a role reversal where all of a sudden the offense was struggling for the Seahawks and the defense was the ones that were winning games for them. And then they wound up going into the playoffs. I mean, there's scenarios and situations like that all the time, every single season in the NFL. So when we go ahead and we take a look at these schedules, from these teams that are going to be playing, and we go ahead and take a look at which team is going to be doing what, and which team is going to be doing who, and which team is going to be doing where, and which team is going to be a champion, and which team is going to be a bust, and all of these things. When we go ahead and look at that in May, we're not taking into account all of the other things that are going to be happening within a football season, which is momentum swings, which is injuries, which is all of these things, which is, oops, I'm sorry, that team was not as good as I thought it was going to be. Hey, guess what? That unsigned free agent or that unrestricted unrestricted free agent or that undrafted player that's on the team that we didn't think of at all. He's starting to turn out to be a real impact player for that team that we didn't take into account or that first round draft pick who we thought was going to save the offense or save the defense all of a sudden turned out to be a bust or that quarterback who we thought was going to be that franchise quarterback all of a sudden now he's injured and he's not playing or he never got into a groove. I mean, we don't equate those type of things when we start speaking about what a team is going to be when the season, when the schedule first comes out in May. Or we go ahead and we start going on and on about the NFL in June and July. Why? Because this country is addicted to the NFL. This country is addicted to football. I mean, maybe unless you live in Alabama or Louisiana or Kansas or Oklahoma or maybe Columbus, Ohio, where you know you have college football ruling the roost for the most part, in Oklahoma and such. But for the most part, football is what drives the sports bus in this country, whether it be the NFL or whether it be college football. So if they're not talking about the NFL schedule in May and trying to deduce which team is going to be great and which team is going to win 10, 11, 12 games and which team is going to be sorry as shit and, you know, once the season starts by or when the season ends by looking at the schedule in May, if you're not doing that for the NFL – <laughs> you're either doing that or you're talking about uh, spring football. You know, which which five-star recruit is going to have the best chance to get on the field and play? Which returning starter is going to make the biggest impact? Can Alabama repeat as national champions? Can Oklahoma, who's the way too early number one team in the country, are they going to live up to expectations? Who's going to replace Justin Fields at Ohio State? What is going to be happening with Clemson and his and their replacement with uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence? Even though the, the freshman quarterback that they had last year was tremendous. But all of these things are going on. So basically, if you're taking a look at 95% of the country who speak in sports, sports in this uh, world that we live in, in this country that I live in, is either somehow speaking about the NFL or somehow speaking about college football. 
So this is just a par for the course to sit here and talk about, ooh, goody, 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 the NFL schedule is out. Let's go ahead and talk about which team is going to do what and which team is going to do who. I'm not going to do that. I'm just not going to go there. I'm just not going to talk about it for the most part. Now, I will say that the first game of the season is going to be Thursday, September 9th. Well, that's when the Super Bowl champions, Kansas, um, um, I'm so used to saying Kansas City, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers is going to hold the Dallas Cowboys at 820 Eastern Standard Time. That's what the NFL announced. So right now, as I'm recording this, we've got about four months left. So count it down, baby. We got about 120 something days left before the start of the regular season. Can't wait. Can't wait. So when you get week one games of interest, the New York Jets at the Carolina Panthers. Ooh, wow. It's the Sam Darnold revenge game. He goes up against the team that once drafted him third overall and traded him in the offseason after a complete failure and a bust as a quarterback and a franchise quarterback. Ooh, Sam Darnold was supposed to be the savior of the franchise, and now he was traded to the Carolina Panthers because he couldn't get it couldn't get the job done. And of course there's that argument about, well, you know, was it really his fault? Adam Gaze was a guy who really didn't give Darnold too much to work with, didn't put him in the right position. So because of that, do we really have to go ahead and blame Sam Donald for all of the ills and the defects and the and the negativity that uh, came his way with his record, with his performance, and the seasons that he was employed by the New York Jets? Oh, my goodness. So, you know, now it's a revenge game. Now Sam Donald is going to go out there week one for the Carolina Panthers and show the New York Jets that guess what? Y'all made a mistake. So already the pressure is going to be on Zach Wilson because if Darnold goes out and has a great game and Wilson struggles, and let's say Carolina wins the game 38-6, to oh my goodness, all of a sudden now, week one, there's going to be undue pressure on Zach Wilson because the guy they got rid of so you could replace him thoroughly outplays you. So fair or unfair... That negativity and that pressure is going to be put on Zach Wilson right off the gate, the rookie from BYU who was drafted with the number two pick. You know, the guy with the Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes type qualities, even though we're not saying that he's Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes. We're just saying some of the throws that he makes, some of the moxie that he has, some of the talent that he has reminds us of Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. Good Lord have mercy. So, We've got that game week one, the Jets versus the Carolina Panthers. we got the Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Houston Texans. The debut of the next superstar, the debut of the next generational great, the debut of the certain Hall of Famer, the debut of Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback Trevor Lawrence, the number one pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. In all probability, was going to make his first NFL start. Who knows? We don't know if uh, injuries are going to equate with the way Urban Meyer's coaching is anything as far as simple and as far as, um, you know, easy going to be done that way. So, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go on the assumption that Trevor Lawrence is going to be starting week one against the Houston Texans. So, oh my goodness gracious, not only will it be the start of the Trevor Lawrence era in the NFL, but also... We're going to take a look and see exactly what uh, Urban Meyer is putting down as far as the coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So he'll be making his, uh, so that'll be somewhat of an interesting deal. Now, they'll be playing at Houston, not Jacksonville. So the buzz, of course, will not be as great because they'll be on the road and not at home. So 
you know, we'll have to wait maybe a week or two before we get that raunchous crowd, that rowdy crowd at Jacksonville to welcome the anointed one, Trevor Lawrence, as well as the great Urban Meyer coming back to Florida to coach this time in the NFL. So that'll have to wait a week, but still, woo, Jacksonville versus Houston. All eyes are going to be interested. All ears are going to be in tune. All minds are going to be thinking about how is the debut of Trevor Lawrence going to go. So we, so for the next four months, you guys can go ahead and talk about that on Jacksonville Radio, Jacksonville Blogs, and Jacksonville Sports Media. Y'all can talk about, goodness gracious, what is Trevor Lawrence going to be doing as the starting QB for the Jacksonville Jaguars? Light touch. Very light touch to start the career off against one of the worst teams, predictably one of the worst teams in the NFL with the Houston, Texas. And if you're taking a look at this game, the uh, Jaguars versus the Texans, exactly um, who's going to be starting the quarterback for Houston? Because right now we don't know what the hell is going on in terms of the Deshaun Watson case. That's kind of flown under the radar in terms of uh, interest, in terms of spotlight on the story is concerned. Last time I checked, there was a couple of females who weren't going to settle, who were going to try to get justice. So what does that mean? Have you heard anything in terms of Deshaun Watson being traded? Have you heard anything as far as the commitment that the uh, Houston Texans have made toward Deshaun Watson? Have you heard anything about that? So, you know, depending upon... What's going to be happening at the quarterback position for Houston? Um, week one, Jacksonville versus Houston should be very tasty for a certain portion of this country. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Speaking about some of the games in week one, we have the Cleveland Browns versus the Kansas City football team, a rematch of the divisional playoff game from last season where it took a backup quarterback to make a couple of uh, very nice uh, plays to ensure that the... Kansas City team moved on from uh, a moved on from a difficult uh, match against the Cleveland Browns, and you know there's going to be a lot of expectations now moving on with the Cleveland Browns. So it'll be interesting to see Week One exactly how they look. Doesn't mean it's going to be a harbinger for what's going to be happening for the rest of the year. If you remember the season opener for the Browns last season that they lost to the Baltimore Ravens 38 to 6. I remember early in the season they lost to the Ravens 38 to 6 and then uh, you know so that was a deal there but you know it'll be interesting to see this new confidence that the Cleveland Browns have after breaking so many uh, records in terms of futility is concerned with their organization moving forward now they should have a more confident, a more polished, a more believe-in quarterback in Baker Mayfield. Uh, They've made some changes on defense to improve that side of the football, so we'll see what they look like. Their opening introduction against probably the best offense in the NFL, if not one of the top three with the Kansas City used to be shumping on. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. From my standpoint, in terms of week one in the NFL, oh, happy day. Merry Christmas, happy birthday, happy holidays when the first week of the NFL starts. The Los Angeles Chargers are going to be playing my Washington football team, the Snyder Skins, the Ryan Fitzpatrick Skins, the Chase Young Skins. The Fitzpatrick era begins in D.C. And the Washington football team starts its defense of the NFC Least title. If you remember, they won it 7-9 last season. Good indication of uh, what improvement Justin Herbert had made from the last season to this season, if you're a Los Angeles Charger fan. So, hey, man, you know what? This is some, some interesting stuff. But 
you know, for the most part, I'm just, I just, one of the things that I just laugh at here on Wendell's World of Sports with your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. One of the things that make me laugh is when they talk about the revenge games, the story, you know, the bringing up the storylines of, ooh, this guy's going to come back, this player's going to come back to exact revenge on the team that let him go. Of course, you have, you know, Tom Brady playing against the New England Patriots. Ooh, how tasty is that going to be? How awesome is that going to be? How intriguing is that going to be? Let's let's go ahead and talk about that now in May and June and July because, ooh-wee, I cannot wait to see this awesome, epic matchup between Tom Brady and the New England Patriots, or shall we say Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick. That's going to be the deal. Tom Brady Versus Bill Belichick. When was the last time Bill Belichick got on the field and did anything? I did not know that Tom Brady was going to be going up against Bill Belichick. Now, maybe if those guys were playing air hockey, that would be interesting. Maybe if those two were playing Uno or Solitaire, that would be interesting. Maybe if those guys were playing chess or checkers, that would be interesting. Because it would truly be Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick. But no, this isn't Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick. It's The Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the New England Patriots. That's what it is. It's not Tom Brady versus Cam Newton. It's not Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick. It's not Tom Brady versus New England. And it's, you know, on the other side of the coin, no, it's not Cam Newton versus uh, Todd Bowles. It's not Cam Newton versus Bruce Arians. It's not Bill Belichick versus um, uh, uh, Byron Lefwich. None of those things, none of those things at all. It's the New England Patriots, their football team versus Tom, uh, versus Tampa, uh, Tampa Bay. And Tom Brady plays quarterback for that team. But it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the New England Patriots. A lot more is going to go into this game on who wins and loses other than Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Last time I checked, Bill Belichick didn't take one snap for the New England Patriots last year. In fact, I don't think in his career, you can look it up, go to ESPN Stats and Information. I'm quite sure I'm going to go on a limb on this. I haven't checked any of my sources, but I don't think Bill Belichick has played one down for the New England Patriots as a head coach. I I, I could be wrong about that. I could be, you know, speaking out out of tune, out of line, but I'm guessing that's not happening. So again, he can put some players in the position to try to win, but he better have some good players to do so. And for Tom Brady, um, he's going to be going up against a defense that is going to be constructed by Bill Belichick. So he's not going to be going up against Bill Belichick. He's going to be going up against other players on the other team that has been instructed to be in certain places and do certain things against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers whose quarterback just happens to be the quarterback who was once employed by the New England Patriots for 20 years and where he grew his legend and where he uh, did such great things, such as Tom Brady. But this bullshit about this nonsense about Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick, just like when the Indianapolis Colts used to play the New England Patriots when Peyton Manning was the quarterback and Manning and Tony Dungy, the coach of the uh, Indianapolis Colts, were one of the elite teams in the NFL and they would go up in the playoffs against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick every year. And it would, would, it would always be Peyton Manning versus Bill Belichick and Tom Brady versus the Indianapolis Colts. 
So these clowns who are saying that bullshit were so ignorant and so <clears throat> absent-minded and so disrespectful. Hell, let me tell you something, man. If you're going to have the storyline of Peyton Manning going up against Bill Belichick, you better goddamn sure have said that it was Tom Brady going up against Tony Dungy also. But no, they always put in Peyton Manning versus Bill Belichick and Tom Brady versus the Indianapolis Colts because of bullshit. But I, I hate when I hear storylines like this. Like Tom Brady somehow, someway, who gives a fuck, man? Who cares? Now, if it was the New England Patriots playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the Super Bowl... I mean, that would be some shit right there. Now we're talking. Now we're intrigued. Now we're interested. And not just because of Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick. It's because it's for the championship. Doesn't, doesn't matter who's coaching and who's playing quarterback. I'm quite sure for both of those organizations, they would want to win the championship. But since New England versus Tampa Bay is not for the championship, who gives a rat's ass about Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick? Who cares? What do you think? All of a sudden now, Bill Belichick, so all of a sudden, the week of uh, Tampa Bay, Bill Belichick is going to, what, try harder to win? That he's going to put more hours, he's going to put more time, more effort, more passion into winning this game? Like against the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins and the other teams he plays, eh, you know what, or the other team that uh, his team is playing, ah, eh, you know what, I'll do what I need to do, this, that, and the other. Oh, but man, when I get to Tampa Bay, woohoo, watch out, y'all. Man, I'm really going to be going for broke on this one. Like Tom Brady, all of a sudden, as meticulous as he is in terms of his preparation, in terms of his dedication to the sport, in terms of him being ready to play, all of a sudden now, against the New Orleans Saints, ah, no big deal. Against the Dallas Cowboys, ah, you know, I'll do what I have to do. But when it comes to the revenge game with the New England Patriots, Oh, all of a sudden now, I'm going to go even harder. I'm going to be even more dedicated. I'm going to be even more in tune in what I have to do to get ready for that football team, to play against that football team. Hogwash, nonsense, bullshit. <laughs> and what re what revenge game? What is their revenge for? What does Tom Brady or Bill Belichick have to prove to one another? They've each won six championships. When people talk about, well, which one was better, which one needed more, they both needed each other, you stupid son of a, sons of bitches. They both needed each other. Bill Belichick ain't winning six Super Bowls without Tom Brady. And guess what? Tom Brady ain't winning six Super Bowls without Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick isn't regarded as one of the greatest, if not the greatest coach of all time, if it wasn't for Tom Brady. And Tom Brady isn't regarded as one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterbacks of all time, if it wasn't for Bill Belichick. So where is the revenge? Where is the I have to show you something? Where is the I'm, you made a mistake? 20 years, countless numerous accolades and achievements, Hall of Fame, all-time great status, all of these things that those two worked together, built together. Where's the anger? Where is the revenge? Where is the I'll show you? Where is it? I don't think Bill Belichick said, hey, Tom, you know, I know you really want to stay, but you're washed up, you're through, you're finished, and uh, you suck as a quarterback. Get out. I don't think Bill Belichick said that. And I don't think Tom Brady was like, oh, you know what, I'll show you, Bill. You know what, I'm sick and tired of carrying your ass. I'm sick and tired of of you getting all these accolades and you getting all these 
all this praise. And meanwhile, I'm the one who's responsible for all of this. I'll show you. I'm going to leave this organization. I'm going to go to another organization and win a Super Bowl just to show you that I was the one, me, Tom Brady, I was the one who was responsible for the New England Patriots dynasty, not you, Bill. I mean, is this, is that what we're going through? Is this what we're going to have to talk about? Are those going to be the storylines? Are those going to be the thought processes? Is this what we're going to have to deal with? Interesting, interesting, interesting. Jared Goff playing against the Los Angeles Rams. Ooh, come on, man, give me a fucking break. Jared Goff got traded because Matthew Stafford was a better option at quarterback. Sorry. I mean, you know, Jared Goff needs to kind of figure that one out. So, I mean, and, and be so all of a sudden now we're paying attention to the thoughts and feelings and emotions of Jared Goff, really? I mean, there's nothing else in the NFL that week that we can kind of talk about other than, ooh, the revenge game between Jared Goff and the Los Angeles Rams. Okay, there you go. So I don't really, I don't really get into that stuff. I'm, I'm, I, I, I love the game of football. I understand the importance of football, but these minutia type of uh, storylines and stuff that we create during the summer and during the spring when football is not around, I just. You know, I, I just can't really go there. I just, it really bores me to, to talk about that stuff. Who, what what wide receiver that's going to be drafted is going to have the biggest impact? Man, I don't know, man. How about this? How about we just watch the games and find out? Huh? How about, wouldn't, wouldn't that be fun? Isn't that fun? Which team is going to do this? Which team is going to do that? I don't know, man. Let's just wait and find out. I mean, that's one of the great things. You know, we can actually find out, watch for ourselves, and we, re we really don't know the answer. Now, there's some things that are have bigger chances to succeed than most, all right? For instance, the Cincinnati Bengals probably are not going to win the Super Bowl. The Jacksonville Jaguars probably not going to win the Super Bowl. I can go ahead and say with some type of certainty that that's not going to be happening. The Kansas City football team has a great chance to win the Super Bowl. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers on paper have a great chance to repeat and win the Super Bowl. You know, those are some of some things I can talk about. You know, those are the things with some certainty that I can go ahead and we can talk about. But, you know, all this other nonsense for the most part, I just I just can't deal. I can't deal about rating the top quarterbacks in the league. I can't talk about all and all and all about what's going to be happening with Aaron Rodgers, every comment he makes, every thought process that goes through. I can't sit there and deduce about, well, what's going to be happening? What does this mean? Aaron Rodgers says that he wants to leave the Green Bay Packers. What does that mean? That means he wants to leave the Green Bay Packers. What are the chances of him being a quarterback for Green Bay next year? I have no fucking idea. What are the chances that Green Bay trades Aaron Rodgers? Have no idea. What are the chances that Aaron Rodgers plays for the San Francisco 49ers, the Las Vegas Raiders, or the Denver Broncos? Have no fucking clue. Have no idea. Haven't heard anything, don't know, and really until it happens, Really don't care. I mean, we could speak about it because it is news. A reigning MVP, one of the greatest quarterbacks of his generation, an all-time great quarterback, a, a certain Hall of Famer, wants to uh, be traded or wants to uh, leave an organization that he's had so much success with. That's interesting to talk about. That's interesting uh, for a day or two. But after we've gotten out all of the particulars and after we've kind of discussed about why and how and if it's going to work and what the salary cap ramifications and what's going on this that and the other after that i mean where are we where are we going what are we doing what, what's what's going to be happening so until something concrete like you know the denver broncos are in talks to trade 
for Aaron Rodgers, and these are some of the things that are going to be discussed. Yeah, we can we can go ahead and talk about that. I'll go ahead and uh, let you know my thoughts and opinions about that. Uh, but for the most part, now yeah, I'm not going to be sitting there every single day. Aaron Rodgers was at the Kentucky Derby and he wasn't wearing green. What did that mean? I don't know, man. I mean, Jesus, <laughs> you know. Or Aaron Rodgers was at the Kentucky Derby and he was wearing a green lapel. Does that mean in some small way he really wants to return to the Green Bay Packers? Because after all, their colors are green, Scheme. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. I really can't do this. So, you know, Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad you could be with us. As I mentioned before, I mean, teams that are going to improve on last season's record. And obviously, when you speak about that, because those are the other things. Which teams, after the schedule comes out, which team is going to improve? Which team is going to be worse? Well, I think that the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be better than 1-15. Because if they're not, they're going to be 0 and they're going to either be 1-16 or 0-17. And even the worst case scenario, I don't think the Jaguars are going to be that bad. I think the upgrade in quarterback, I think the upgrade in some of the needs that they have, some of the acquisitions that they made in free agency, signing cornerback Shaquille Griffin from Seattle, safety Rashawn Jenkins from Los Angeles, the improved uh, defensive line that they, uh, the improvement that they made in free agency where they signed four free agents and re-signed Dwayne Smoot to an extension. So I think that's going to be better. I think playing in the AFC South where you don't know what the situation or the deal is with Houston, Tennessee lost their offensive coordinator, I think in all actuality, I think that the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be better than 1-15. I think that the Atlanta Falcons, who finished the last season 4-12, and they gave away two or three games last season. If you think about the games against Dallas, if you think about the games against Chicago in the first three weeks of the season, they were 2-8 and eight in one-score games. They played competitively well against Kansas City, where they lost 17-14 on the road. They lost to Tampa Bay. 31-27, they lost to New Orleans, 21-16. So against the elite squads in the league, the Atlanta Falcons played well. Matt Ryan, I think, having a new coach in Arthur Smith, the way he turned Ryan Tannehill's career around, speaking about Arthur Smith, I think is going to be an improvement for uh, Matt Ryan. I think the acquisition, I think the drafting of Kyle Pitts to go along with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley are going to provide more options for Matt Ryan, for those guys to be a little bit more successful. I'm not saying that all of a sudden the Atlanta Falcons are going to go 12-5 and five or 10-7, and seven, but I think they're going to improve on the record of 4-12 and 12 last season, just based, again, on just some dumb luck. And if you think about the division that they're going to be playing in, and you have the New Orleans Saints who are going to be looking for a quarterback because Drew Brees is now retired, Carolina is going to be breaking in a new quarterback with Sam Darnold. I think that there's going to be opportunities for Atlanta to improve on their 4-12 and record. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The Dallas Cowboys, another team who I think has a great opportunity to improve on their 6-10 and record. Major upgrade, of course, to all the nonsense they went through. Last season, when Dak Prescott injured, Andy Dalton then got injured. They went with a third-string quarterback out of Delaware who didn't give them a really good chance to win. So I think the major upgrade, of course, with Dak Prescott over Andy Dalton is going to contribute to the Cowboys winning more football games. Now, of course, the question that you have with Dak Prescott is, well, what's his status in terms of his injury status? Because when he got injured against Seattle, that was a pretty gruesome-looking injury. How much more improved 
is Dak Prescott in terms of him getting ready to pick up where he left off at the beginning of the 2021 season. Well, he told reporters last week for Bleacher Report, uh, Prescott told reporters that, hey, man, you know what? If I'm ready to go last week, and that's how healthy I feel right now. So when the bullets start flying, we'll see not only is it physical for him to overcome the injury that happened to him, but also I think it's going to be mental also. So those are some of the things that we have to look towards. We have to look at what the season starts for real. But I think for the most part, even if Dak is 75, 80%, I think that's still going to be a major upgrade over the quarterback situation they had last season once Prescott went down. The offensive line was destroyed. Speaking about the Dallas Cowboys, the offensive line was destroyed by injury. So three or four of their starters who contributed to one of the best offensive lines a few years ago is going to be back in action. If you're speaking about Tyron Smith and you're going to be speaking about Zach Martin, all of those guys missed serious time last season because of injuries. Can Ezekiel Elliott, because of that, then rebound from a terrible season Last season, we will see the course of defense, if you're speaking about the Cowboys, have to get better, right? They can't be as bad as they were last season where they gave up almost six yards per play. Micah Parsons, Dan Quinn, is that going to be enough to improve the defense? We will see. But, you know, I think in all actuality, with the def- with the uh, offense improving, I think that will also help the defense because if you think about it, when you don't have a quarterback and you don't have an offense, what happens? Your defense is out there for a certain amount of plays longer, and it exposes you a lot more when you're always on the field because the offense can't move the ball. And also knowing that your offense can't put up significant points puts a lot of pressure on your defense. And if your defense isn't good, then you saw what happened last year with the Cowboys, who I think near the end of the season was also that defense was starting to improve. So we'll see. And if you speak about the NFC East, which is still the NFC least. Yeah, the Washington football team still has a great defense, a young, emerging, dominant defense. But Ryan Fitzpatrick is still their quarterback. Their offensive weapons are mediocre. So there's an avenue for the Cowboys to uh, improve on in that division. Philadelphia is in rebuilding mode with Jalen Hurts, trying to get some chemistry between Jalen Hurts and Devonta Smith. Uh, the Giants have an above-average defense, but there's still some questions at quarterback as Daniel Jones is probably going to be going into his last season to try to convince the Giants that he is their quarterback of the future, that he is their franchise quarterback. So with question marks at quarterback in Washington and in the uh, in New York and in Philadelphia, it opens up the way for the Dallas Cowboys not only to improve on the record that they had last season, 6-10, and 10, but also to win that division. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Other teams that should improve in the NFL, the Los Angeles Rams, of course, you know, with the acquisition of Matthew Stafford, the New England Patriots. Um, I think Cam Newton is going to be better than he was last season. Here was a guy against Seattle. And of course, Seattle's defense at that time was beyond porous. But Cam Newton showed some real great glimpses early in the season that he was a quarterback that could be respected in terms of being a starting quarterback for a pretty good team. You saw the game against Seattle on Sunday night, how well he played. COVID messed things up. The fact that he didn't have any type of off-season training or the fact that he didn't have any type of real OTAs or training camps, I think, put him behind the uh, curve in terms of learning Josh McDaniels' offense. So I think the fact that 
Newton is relatively healthy. He's not coming off of any type of rehabilitation for any type of surgery like he did last all season. I think the I think the security that he has now that he has a team, if you remember last season, Newton was still looking for a team to play for. So I think now that he has the opportunity not only to know what it's like to be a New England Patriot and do know the Patriot way and understand and learn under McDaniel and Belichick going into this offseason, I think there's a comfortability there where he can concentrate on getting himself ready to play football and also learning that offense to become becoming better in that offense. So I think at the quarterback position, the New England Patriots are going to be greatly improved. Then if you go ahead and speak about the free agent acquisitions at the wide receiver and tight end position that Belichick and the Patriots organization made, I think that they're going to be much better than their record was last season and some of the defensive players that the Patriots didn't have last season because of the pandemic. Now those guys are coming back to play. So just based on that alone, the New England Patriots should also be improving upon last season's record. The Los Angeles Chargers, interesting to see exactly what's going to be their deal. Justin Herbert, is he going to take that next uh, step forward? The Chargers were another team that were snake bit a couple of times in some of their losses. Don't think that's going to be happening with the new head coach that they have. So I think the Los Angeles Chargers record-wise are going to be better this season than they were last season. So, Look, there's going to be some uh, interesting things going on. The possibilities in terms of teams that could get better. I wanted to put the San Francisco 49ers. Anytime you're going to be returning Nick Bosa, who missed most of last season because of injury, and put him back on the defensive line, that's only going to improve not just the defense for the San Francisco 49ers, but also the offense. Jimmy Garoppolo, under, under the assumption that he's going to get some time or that he's going to be the starting quarterback, I think that if he's going to be the starting quarterback... I think that he's an improvement over Nick Mullins, who uh, started for him after Garoppolo went down. So if Garoppolo plays, I'm thinking that the 49ers are going to improve on their record. And really, if you think about it, would have an, a shot. We don't exactly know what's happening in Seattle. I don't think that they're going to be better than the Los Angeles Rams, mainly because of the Rams' acquisition of a real quarterback for Sean McVay to really open up his genius mind to put some um, clever offensive plays on the board for Matthew Stafford to execute. But other than the Los Angeles Rams, I mean, you take a look at that division. Yeah, Arizona should be getting a little bit better, but they should. I don't know. I, I, I think there's a situation where the 49ers should be in that mix if Garoppolo is going to be their guy. If Garoppolo is going to be their guy, I think the 49ers more than likely will improve upon their record of last season. If Trey Lance is the guy that's going to be the quarterback, I don't know. I don't. I really don't know. It's going to be a learning situation, and as great as Kyle Shanahan is, I mean, we are speaking about it. And for Trey Lance, it has nothing to do at the level of competition that he played for or that he played at. And that has nothing to do with that at all. Just a matter of, uh, this guy hadn't played football in a year. He's 20 years old and he's still green. Though he taken 300, 400 snaps after high school in his football career. How is that going to translate into success when you're speaking about playing at the highest level, when you're speaking about being in the division? Not only will you have Aaron Darnold, the defensive player of the year in the NFL, that you're going to have to go up against not once, 
but twice, but also a top five cornerback in the league in Jalen Ramsey, who you're going to have to go up against not once, but twice. How strong is that San Francisco 49er running game, which you're going to have to rely on if you're going to be playing Lance. Even if you're going to have to be playing Garoppolo, you're going to rely on the running game more so if you're going to be going with Trey Lance as your quarterback. So those were one. that was one of my thinking about the San Francisco 49ers. My first inclination was to say, yes, that's going to be a team that's going to improve from last season. But I had to stop and say, well, wait a minute, if... Trey Lance is going to be that QB. Is that really going to be happening? As great of an offensive mind that uh, Kyle Shanahan is, we will see. We will see. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wall is so glad that you could be with us. Some of the uh, teams who I thought are going to regress, I don't know, man. I'm I'm thinking about the Chicago Bears. I, I don't know. I have no idea. Now, Mitchell Trubisky, always not being at the quarterback position for the Bears. That's a good thing. Justin Fields, we don't know. We have no idea. I mean, Justin Fields isn't the isn't the layup that Trevor Lawrence was as a prospect. I mean, we saw the rise and then the fall and then some of the things that went down with Justin Fields. We don't know. But I know very quickly we're going to find out whether the scouts who said that he was the last one into the meeting room and the first one out and he doesn't love the game much and he was a product of Ryan Day's offense, the same offense that gave great numbers to Dwayne Haskins. We're going to figure out which one is correct. Is it those naysayers or the ones who say that, you know, no, 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 let me tell you something, man. Right behind Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields was the best quarterback available in this draft, and he's going to show everybody that he is a guy who can lead a franchise, who can be the franchise quarterback, and can be a championship-winning franchise quarterback. We might not find that out this year, but we can start seeing some of the embers of something that could ignite into Justin Fields being that type of football player. So with the Bears, they have a defense that's still elite, even though their defensive efficiency went down. When you don't have an offense at all, again, similar to what the Dallas Cowboys went through, when you have such an inept offense, which is not going to put many points on the board and which is going to have you out there in disintegrated positions to go ahead and do something. Of course, from a statistical standpoint, the numbers for the Bears aren't going to be that great, but any team that has Khalil back on it with any type of decent defense, I think should be better, but we don't know. We don't know. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are the main team that's going to, uh, as going to falter. If you think about it, last season started off 11 and 0, then lost five of their last six games before losing to Cleveland in the playoffs. How much does Ben Roethlisberger have left as a franchise quarterback? You would have to think, right? That this is the last year that Roethlisberger is going to be in a uh, Pittsburgh Steelers uniform? Don't know. Have no idea. But, uh, you know, we don't know. The offensive line is going to be, I mean, they drafted Najee Harris, which is great. But what type of line is he going to be running for? Alejandro Villanueva signed with the Baltimore Ravens this offseason. That was their best offensive lineman at the left tackle. Bud Dupree, he signed with uh, Tennessee. He was one of their best defensive players. They re-signed Juju Smith-Schuster. That, that's good. That's a positive. But I think when you're in a division with the Baltimore Ravens, who are going to be strong, when you have the Cleveland Browns, who are ascending, allegedly, you know, I think this is a situation where as far as being AFC North champions, that the Baltimore Ravens, excuse me, that the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers are no longer the cream of the crop, the creme de la creme, if I could use that uh, cliche. So 
The Steelers also have the, the toughest draw, the toughest schedule. They're going to be playing a first-place schedule, if you remember. So at the end of the season, you're looking at the possibility of them playing four consecutive teams that made the playoffs last season in Tennessee, Kansas City, Cleveland, and then Baltimore. So it might be a situation where it might not make a difference because by that time, the Steelers could be hopelessly out of the playoffs or they could still be in the mix. Who knows? Who knows? I wanted to see the Green Bay Packers, right? But I have no idea what's going to be happening with Aaron Rodgers, whether he's going to be the quarterback of that team or not. So who knows? But yeah, man, the NFL season, we got the schedules. We can start salivating a little bit. We can start bringing up some talking points of what we want to talk about during the summer, during the spring, during those type of things. We are currently in the spring, but you know, at the end of the spring, moving on to the summer now as the spring training or the, the, uh, 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 OTAs and summer camps are right around the corner. We can start talking about that, but uh, I'd rather talk about some other things. So that was my minutia. That was my stuff on the NFL. Now, I think there's some uh, NBA playoffs that are going to be starting very soon, right? Shouldn't we talk about that? Let's go ahead and do that. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Namaste, wassalam alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Konnichiwa. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. Que pasa, mi amigos? Mi amo, eh, Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Recording this on a Wednesday. Let's see what I can do to get through with all of this because the next couple of days are going to be extremely busy. Going to be working very hard. Got a lot of things to do, so uh, let's see what I can do to get through this. Let's see what I can do to rip-roar and get through this. We talked about some NFL. We talked about a lot of things, I guess. But now, you know, we're going to go ahead and talk about some NBA action that uh, we're going to be getting into because by the time that I finish, by the time I get to my next recording, by the time I um, do my next podcast, the playoffs are going to be starting in the NBA or we'll have everything set up, the regular season will be over. Man, I'm not going to enjoy, you know, what I'm going to be doing this next couple of days, especially this weekend, I'm going to be doing absolutely nothing. I am going to binge watch everything that I want to in terms of the next couple of days because I know once Tuesday starts, next Tuesday, May 18th, and the play-in game starts, I know from then until probably about July, I'm really not going to have any time off in terms of what I want to watch for the most part because it's going to be NBA playoff games going on and on and on and on. And as much as I love the NBA, as much as I love the NBA playoffs, as much as I love the intrigue of the NBA playoffs, as much as I love everything about that, especially after I took the year off from 
my full enthusiasm toward the NBA because 2020 was such a screwed up year and because everything that went down, the fact that the games were in the bubble and there weren't any fans and anything like that. So the games, the championship games were on, the NBA championship games were on during the NFL season and when NFL was taking center stage. So for the first time in a long, long, long time, speaking about decades, I really wasn't fully committed, really wasn't into it, really wasn't enthusiastic in terms of watching the NBA Finals. This season now, I'm going to be like, you know, gung-ho, watching all the games, watching as many games as I can. I'm going to be really into it, situated into watching these games. So, you know, this weekend coming up, man, that's going to be it for me. I've got to go ahead and get all my Netflix stuff out of the way. i got to go ahead and get all of my American Justice stuff out of the way. i got to go ahead and get all of my Serial Killer stuff out of the way. i got to go ahead and get all of my Bobby Flays out of the way. i got to go ahead and get all of my diners, drive-ins, and dives out of the way. i got to get all of my guys' grocery games out of the way. i got to get all of my chopped out of the way. i got to get all of that stuff out of the way because I know my Mondays, my Tuesdays, or should I say, starting on Tuesday, my Tuesdays, my Wednesdays, my Thursdays, all the way through till about midway through the summer when the NBA Finals is over, I'm going to be just uh, really wrapped into what's happening with the NBA playoffs. So, yeah, man, I am definitely, definitely looking forward to that labor of love and kind of give you a heads up on what the majority of my podcasts are going to be sounding like. NBA, 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 and maybe after that, maybe a little NBA here on Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast with your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, as we commence March journey to the playoffs, the Boston Celtics are free falling right to the playoffs, man. I don't, I don't know exactly what is up with this team. I don't know what's going to be happening with this team after two disappointing losses on the road to the Miami Heat was essentially ensure, ensure that the Heat would make the playoffs and not have to play in the play-in game. The Celtics went out Wednesday night and lost to the uh, Miami Heat to end an 11 game losing streak for the Cavaliers. Sorry, they lost to the Cavaliers in Cleveland 102 to 94 to end the Cavaliers 11 game losing streak. Cavaliers shot 70% during the fourth quarter after making only 38% of their shots over the first three quarters combined, while Boston shot just 32% from the field during the fourth quarter and 35% overall. Kevin Love had a Minnesota Timberwolves. Flashback, I guess, I guess you could say, with 30 points. Made six three-pointers, including two in an 11-0 run early in the fourth quarter. He also had 14 rebounds. So as the Cavaliers do their best to see what they can do to make sure that they get themselves in perfect playoff position, or excuse me, perfect lottery position to get themselves one of the prize, uh, soon-to-be rookies, Kevin Love goes out and scores 30 points and grabs 14 rebounds. Jason Tatum scored 29 points, shot just 11 of 26 from the field. Boston played the game without Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, who's out for the rest of the year, Marcus Smart, and Robert Williams. All are out with various injuries. So now as we head toward the end of the regular season with a couple of games left, as we head toward the, um, the weekend, Boston is now the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference. Scheduled to play Indiana in the 7-8 game. The winner of that game, just in case you don't know, let me go ahead and explain it to you again. The winner of the 7-8 seeded game clinches a playoff spot, and they'll be the number 7 seed. The loser 
of the 7-8 game plays the winner of the number 9, number 10 seeded game with the winner of that game getting this number 8 seed in the playoffs. So as of right now, Boston, Indiana, Washington, Charlotte, all in the mix. You go to the Western Conference right now, the Lakers, Golden State, San Antonio, and I believe Memphis are also in those playoff games. So if you're the 7th or 8th seed and you win that game, then automatically you're the number 7 seed in the playoffs. If you lose the 7th, 8th seeded game, then you go ahead and you play the winner of the number 9, number 10 seeded game. Whoever wins the number 9, number 10 seeded game, they play the loser of the number 8 seeded game. The loser of the number 9, number 10 seeded game is automatically eliminated from playoff competition, and the winner of the 8 Nine seeded game makes the playoffs. That eh, didn't make any sense. Screw it. Look it up. Go ahead and Google it. Whatever. But you know, I've said I've explained it enough times. I'm not going to do it again. So the Celtics are in. They're in dire straits, man. They're in a possibility where they might not even make the playoffs. And after everything that went down, after all the teams moving into the uh, regular season this year, Boston might be the most disappointing team in the league this year. If you really. Ex- um, think about it. When you match the results with the expectations, you can argue if the expectations were unfair, were unrealistic. But Boston came into the season, I uh, think their expectations were at least a little bit higher than where they are right now. Um, coming into the 2021 campaign after they reached the Eastern Conference Finals this past season, losing to the Miami Heat. Things looked to be on track after a promising 8-3 and start for the Celtics. But the ship has been rocky ever since, as you could say, going 27-32 and 32 the past 59 games. They've lost eight of their last 11 games. Uh, Boston Celtics president of basketball operations, Danny Ainge, guess he's not holding Brad Stevens, the head coach of the Celtics, accountable for the team struggles. In fact, appearing on the Toucher and Rich radio show Thursday, uh, Ainge says Stevens is not the real issue. With the Boston Celtics, he said that fact our job is to deal with real issues, not perceived ones. I, I don't know where he can go ahead and, and absolve Danny uh, Brad Stevens from all of this. He is the head coach. If he's going to receive a good chunk of the of the um, praise when the Celtics are doing great, I don't see how he can't receive some of the blame, a lot of the blame, a good responsibility of the blame when things are not going well. Now, this is not to say that Brad Stevens needs to be fired or his job should be in jeopardy or something like that. But, I mean, this is the another instance of the golden boy, Brad Stevens, as a head coach. Um, there's some question marks here. When the Celtics, again, went ahead and got themselves Kyrie Irving, this was a situation where, okay, Boston was going to be situated as one of the teams that were going to be competing for championships on a consistent basis for years and years to come. They finally cashed in all of the Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett traded to the Brooklyn Nets for their number one draft pick. And after contemplating whether they should get Jimmy Butler, whether they were going to go ahead and make the move to get Anthony Davis and all of these other high-priced, high-profile players, they finally decided on Kyrie Irving. Well, that turned out to be a absolute disaster. That turned out to be a major bust. That team was very unwatchable. That team was not a team that people, that the fans could get behind and cheer for. That was not a team where Bostonians could root for. Kyrie Irving comes out and says that he wants to finish his career as a Boston Celtics. Then six months later, he 
basically says, I want the fuck out of here. Him and Brad Stevens couldn't get together on the same page. You could tell that there was some friction. You could tell that, you know, the young guys such as Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown really couldn't get along and really couldn't understand what Kyrie Irving was putting down. So that whole thing went to put. And then when Irving went over to the Brooklyn Nets, basically they got nothing out of that trade. Basically, the, the, the golden ticket that they had, which was the new, new uh, Brooklyn Nets number one draft pick off of the Paul Pierce-Kevin Garnett deal, turned out to be absolutely nothing. Turned out to be a major bust. So the fact that Ainge went out and got himself Jason Tatum with the number three pick, the fact that Jalen Brown with the number three pick, I guess, again for the Celtics, when many people thought Jalen Brown was someone who shouldn't have gone that high, and turned out to be the player that he was, despite those accomplishments from Danny Ainge and the work that Brad Stevens did to put those guys into great positions, speaking of Brown and Tatum, to do well in the NBA. I mean, this was a situation where, man, you know, Kyrie Irving walks out the door for nothing. They went ahead and spent a boatload of money to bring in Gordon Hayward. A couple of years later, he walks out the door. They bring in Al Horford. A couple of years later, he's out the door. So what was supposed to be constructed as a team that was going to vie for championships for years to come turned out to be anything but. And it it accumulated with a situation right here with this season, with the Celtics disappointing. And we could talk about injuries. We could talk about Jason Jason Tatum um, getting COVID and the amount of time it took for him to finally return to his former self, at least physically. It took a while for... Tatum to get rid of all the symptoms and be able to play basketball at a high level after getting that virus. We could talk about the injury to Brown. We could talk about the injury to Kemba Walker. We can talk about the injury to Robert Williams. We could talk about all of those things. But the bottom line is the Celtics should be playing better. The Celtics should be playing consistently better and harder than what they're doing right now. So now with Jalen Brown being hurt, it almost gives the Celtics this playoff season a mulligan even if they lose in the playing game and don't make the playoffs at all I mean with the loss of Brown especially when it happened you can understand after this season where look it's almost like look let's just, let's just get to the off season and let's just go ahead and see what we need to do let's just see where we need to go Brooklyn superseded them when they made the acquisition where they acquired the services of James Harden to go along with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. The acquisition of Doc Rivers being the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers lighted the fire, ignited Joel Embiid to become the most dominant, arguably the most dominant, not the MVP, but the most dominant big man in the game today, Tobias Harris, upping his game, the all-around game of Ben Simmons, including his defense at move past the Boston Celtics. You still have the Milwaukee Bucks with... With Giannis Adenikupo still at the height of his powers, the acquisition of Drew Holiday. So there were some moves made by the other teams that you could arguably say push those teams past Boston in terms of vying for championships, in terms of who had a better opportunity, who had a better chance to win championships. And now you take a look at the Celtics because of all the injuries, because of what happened, and now because of the absence and the loss of Jason Tatum, excuse me, of uh, Jalen Brown. 
if they if the Celtics make the make the uh, win and make the playoffs, they're going to be the number two seed. They're going to play the Brooklyn Nets, so they'll lose in what us us five games, six games possibly. So if you're the Celtics, where do you go from here? What do you do from here? Because, like I mentioned before, Jalen Brown is not coming back. His season came to an end on May second due to a torn ligament in his wrist that's going to require surgery. He he was averaging twenty four. Almost 25 points a game, 48% shooting this season, a great two-way player. So it's almost a situation with the Celtics, similar in some ways, of what happened to the Denver Nuggets when they lost Jamal Murray. Murray was having his best season, averaging 21 points per game, four and a half rebounds, uh, excuse me, four and a half assists while shooting 47% from the field, 40% from the three-point range. So... The difference is, it seems Boston has seemed to be, and look, it's a small sample size because this just happened with Jalen Brown, but since the injury to Murray, the Nuggets have elevated their games. Certain players on that team have elevated their games, and since then, since Murray went down in the waning seconds against the Golden State Warriors in the 15 games afterwards, Denver, Denver has gotten 11-4 had locked up the number four seed in the playoffs, and, and it's just one game behind the Los Angeles Clippers for third place in the Western Conference. Nikola Jokic basically has cemented his status as the MVP. He's been averaging 27 points, 10 rebounds, seven assists since the uh, injury to Murray. Michael Porter Jr. has been outstanding, has been on fire. Since Murray went down, he's averaging 25 and a half points, seven rebounds, 51% from three-point range. So he's taken that responsibility in terms of scoring is concerned. So my question is for the Boston Celtics, for those who want the Celtics to really be viable in the playoffs and make some noise in the playoffs and try to live up to somewhat of the expectations that was brought upon them coming into the season, can Jason Tatum and some other Celtics raise their level of play the same way that Nikola Jokic and Michael Porter Jr.? and Aaron Gordon and others are doing with the Denver Nuggets since losing Jamal Murray. It's going to be interesting to see who's going to be able to replace the 25 points that uh, you're going to be losing from Jalen Brown. You can't can't have Jason Tatum Tatum do it. Yeah, he scored 60 against the Spurs. He's had a couple of 50s and some 40s and such. But you you can't ask him to uh, go ahead and take over the 24 points that uh, you're losing with Jalen Brown. I mean, you can maybe ask him to raise his average of maybe four or six points per game, maybe eight points a game if you're really lucky. But who's going to take care of the, six, the other 16 points? Who's going to take care if Jalen Brown, or excuse me, if uh, Jason Tatum only averages four extra points per game to make up for the statistical loss of Jalen Brown's points per game? Who else is going to um, make up the 20 points that's going to be needed, the 18 points that are going to be needed? You could have Kimball Walker maybe add on another six to eight points to his scoring average. You could maybe add someone like a Marcus Smart, maybe an Evan Foyer, maybe someone like that. But for the most part, someone has got to move up and take over some of that scoring responsibility that's now lost once the injury to Jason Tatum, excuse me, to Jalen Brown was deemed to be season ending. So I don't know. I don't know. Kimball Walker should have been that guy. Kimball Walker was supposed to be the consolation prize when Kyrie Irving walked and just he just hasn't been that guy he just hasn't been there yet consistency is not there 
He had them play back-to-back games the entire season because of uh, injury or because of injury management. So is he going to be the guy? Is he going to be the person that's going to be asked on a nightly basis once the playoffs starts, if they make it to the playoffs, to be that guy, to add that extra four to six to eight points to the scoring average that's been lost by Jalen Brown? I don't know. Maybe Marcus Smart could be that person on the defensive end to pick up the slack where Jalen Brown was left off. I don't know. I, I have no flipping idea how this is going to work. But the Boston Celtics, man, it's, it's a season of disappointment is going to be coming to an end rather soon. And with the playoffs starting, Celtics better do something. They better do something quick to turn the thing around and salvage what has been a very disappointing season. And welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. <clears throat> I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things going on and getting down today in the world of sports. Talked to some NFL, talked some NBA. On Saturday, the NBA is going to have their Hall of Fame. This is going to be one of the most decorated Hall of Fame classes of all time, as far as NBA is concerned, when you're speaking about such legends as, of course, the late, great Kobe Bryant and Tim Duncan and uh, Kim Mulkey and uh, Rudy Tomjanovich and such great players, such great coaches. It's just an absolute star-studded class. Kevin Garnett, all of those guys. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be really interesting to uh, take a look. And I'm not really much into speeches. I'm not really too much. I'm not really into that Hall of Fame stuff. Really never watched too much of the... Uh, NFL Hall of Fame, which I know is the big brouhaha, which is the uh, big uh, co- big cojones in terms of the uh, Hall of Fames are concerned, in terms of uh, when folks are inducted, when folks are giving their speeches. Never really got too much into that. Uh, saw a few, but not really too much. Just like the fact that when I do watch them, the fact that, uh, you know, I like to hear coaches talk about, you know, what I really have, I, I wouldn't have the opportunity to be <clears throat> where I am right now. If it wasn't for the players, I like that. I like when the players go ahead and give their thanks to their coaches and their teammates and going back to their fathers and their mothers and the dedication to their kids and their wives and husbands and stuff. I think that's always awesome. I think that's always great. But it's just something that, uh, no, it's something that, you know, I usually don't, uh, pay too much attention to or, you know, have it as appointment watching viewing, shall we say, these Hall of Fame speeches. If it was me, Say, for instance, if I was someone as great as Kobe Bryant or someone as great as Tim Duncan, someone as great as Kevin uh, Garnett, if I was someone that great, believe me, if I ever get into the podcasting Hall of Fame, (laughs) 
If I ever get into the podcasting Hall of Fame, you know what my speech is going to be. I'm going to get up there, and the first thing I want to say is, first of all, I like to thank no one but myself. First of all, I like to thank the Lord above for giving me the talent, for giving me the ability to do this. And then after that, I thank no one but myself. I earned this all by myself. I'm going to take all the credit. I'm not giving it to anybody. That's what I'm all about. If I was a basketball player, if I was Tim Duncan, if I was Kobe Bryant, I'd get up there on the podium. I mean, God bless Kobe, who's right now right now in the, um, which I mentioned before, the H. NBA, the Heavenly Basketball Association, but <clears throat> if I was someone as great as Kobe, if I was someone as great as Tim Duncan, man, I would get up on that podium. First of all, no one would be bringing me up, okay? So I'd get up there and I'd be saying, first of all, I'd like to thank everybody but myself. There's a whole lot of folks out there who have been my teammates. There's a whole lot of coaches out there. There's a whole lot of people who have gotten rich off of me. There's a whole lot of people who've been in the Hall of Fame because of me. Come on, Coach Pop. You think that you'd be winning five championships if it wasn't for me? Shit. You think that Tim Duncan, you think that the Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker, you think you guys would even be sniffing the Hall of Fame if it wasn't for me? You think that you guys would even be considered as anything if it wasn't for me? You guys got on my backs, and I carried you to fame and glory. No one's winning championships without me, baby. No one cares about the San Antonio Spurs if it wasn't for me, baby. No one is getting rich if it wasn't for me, baby. I put kids through college. I put grandmas in nursing homes because they can afford it. I put everybody. I, I, you know how many big houses? You know how many mansions? You know how many set for lives folks I have set up because of me and only me? So you think I'm supposed to be coming up here and saying thank you for thank you so much for what you did for me? Hell. In fact, you know what? I'm gonna step back, bring up Coach Popovich, bring up David Robinson, bring up Manu Ginobili, bring up Tony Parker, bring up anybody else who have been a player who had played with me for the San Antonio Spurs or Wake Forest, and I want you guys to then talk about how great I am because that's should be the situation. People telling me how great I am, not the other way around. Goodness gracious sakes alive. So that's how much of an asshole I would be if I had the talent of Tim Duncan and Kobe Bryant. Now, the Lord above knew that. So he said, well, to kind of make sure you're not, make sure that you're not the creep and lowlife and scumbag of a human being that you would be if I granted you with such talent and opportunities, I'm going to make you you. <laughs> so, so. Wendell, don't worry about it. The Lord is saying, Wendell, don't worry about it. When I'm done with my creation of you, you don't have to worry about overachieving. You don't have to worry about any high accolades. You don't have to worry about anybody giving you high praise. You don't have to worry about doing anything that would cause you to get into a situation where you would be such an insufferable asshole. <laughs> so there you go. So I thank you, Lord, so much that you gave me no talent and you gave me no skill and you gave me nothing in terms of anything that could put me in a position to where the legends and the greats like Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett and Rudy Tomjanovich and Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan and those, thank you so much that I would never, that you didn't give me the talent to be placed in a situation where I would make a complete ass of myself. Ah, feels good. Thank you, Lord. I told you, the Lord's great, man. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, on Saturday, the Hall of Fame, the NBA Basketball Hall of Fame, is going to be taking place. And they introduced the folks who were going to introduce the Hall of Famers. So, the inductees for Kobe and KG and Tim Duncan and 
Tamika Catching, among others. Tamika Catching is going to be presented by Alonzo Mourning, Georgetown University, baby, and Dawn Staley. Tim Duncan is going to be presented by David Robinson. Interesting, very nice. Kevin Gar- uh, Garnett is going to be presented by Isaiah Thomas, which is interesting. Kim Bulky is going to be presented by Michael Jordan. Even more interesting, Bar- uh, Barbara Stevens, a coach in Division Two in Connecticut, She's going to be presented by Gino Oriema and Muffet McGraw. Eddie Sutton, the late, great Eddie Sutton, is going to be presented by John Calipari, Bill Self, and Sidney, the great, shall I say, the great Sidney Moncrief. Rudy Tomjanovich is going to be presented by Akeem Olajuwon and Calvin Murphy. And Kobe Bryant is going to be introduced by Michael Jordan. That's probably going to be one of the more emotional times. Of course, it's going to be the most emotional times when um, Jordan is going to be presenting uh, Kobe Bryant. I'm quite sure one of the family members for the Bryant family. As much as I would love to see Vanessa come up and talk about Kobe, I would love to see one of his daughters. Um, I think his oldest daughter, she just got accepted in the USC, very prestigious uh, university. I would love to see uh, one of his daughters come up and talk about how great Kobe was. We know how great Kobe was in the eyes of Vanessa, but just from a fatherly standpoint, as far as the father, the dad that Kobe Bryant was, I would love to hear it from one of his daughters. All of his daughters seem to be exceptional, beautiful young uh, young girls and ladies. So if one of the girls would come up and say a few things. That would be great. But if not, I understood. understand that at all. I mean, if um, Vanessa wants to do it, fine. Anything those those people want to do, anything that family wants to do concerning this, fine. Awesome. No no argument, no debate, no discussion there. But, you know, I would love for, to hear uh, the oldest talk about what a wonderful, awesome father Kobe Bryant was. So, and, and probably still is because I know that he's still looking down on those beautiful girls and that beautiful family of his. So I think as far as the Hall of Fame inductions, Kobe uh, being introduced by Michael Jordan, who also is going to be introducing Kim Mulkey. Quite sure that the introduction of Kobe is going to be a little bit more emotional than than, than Kim Mulkey. So it was Vanessa's idea, Miss Bryant's idea, to ask um, Jordan to introduce him in the Hall of Fame. Bryant idolized Jordan growing up, along with Magic Johnson, I must say that. He also molded his game after Jordan. Not not only did he mold his game, when he first got into the league, he tried to mold himself as if he was Michael Jordan. The way he spoke, the way he walked, his mannerisms, everything. Without maybe the the absence of the amount of tongueage that he would use, you know, Jordan was always uh, known for sticking his tongue out, this, that, and the other. The only thing that... Kobe didn't try to idolize to the T of Michael Jordan was the sticking out of the tongue. But, you know, once um, Kobe got to that level in terms of where Jordan was at a certain amount of time, he started to morph more into Kobe Bryant and not a guy named Kobe Bryant trying to imitate Michael Jordan. And I thought that's when I think Kobe made the, the transition from being a self-serving, self-righteous, immature prick of a human being, a selfish basketball player, someone who was not good with his teammates, someone who was all about himself, someone who really didn't have the maturity and really didn't have the uh, knowledge and wisdom and, and, and 
worldly view to look at anything other than trying to be the greatest basketball player of all time, trying to be greater than Michael Jordan. And once he stopped trying to do that and focused on being Kobe Bryant, that's when I think Kobe Bryant turned himself into a fabulous, awesome, wonderful human being that he turned to be. The evolution of what he was from when he first got into the NBA to his last moments on earth with his beautiful daughter, just really an outstanding, remarkable, um, uh, inspirational story. So, you know, having Jordan introduce Kobe into the Hall of Fame, and I I tell you, man, I'm still, uh, I know, I don't know exactly when this happened. I mean, COVID in 2020 threw me off a lot. So we're speaking about a little bit over a year since Kobe uh, passed, since Kobe died. Still haven't, uh, still haven't really registered, registered it yet. I mean, still having a hard time. Watching Kobe Bryant videos, watching Kobe Bryant uh, uh, memorials and those type of things. Um, You know, the guy was starting to really go into his second phase of life with all his wisdom. And now with everything that he had, um, you know, in his arsenal in terms of his character, in terms of what he wanted to do, in terms of the type of human being that he that he uh, turned out to be a full-fledged adult going into the next phase of his life, moving away from basketball and what he was doing in terms of uh, helping out women's basketball, girls' basketball, uh, what he was doing with his girls and what he was looking to do. I I could see Kobe really moving into a greater role in terms of making an impact on the world itself, not just with basketball. I think Kobe ultimately had the ability and was going to make a greater impact as far as the uh, unity and harmony and moving the world in a positive direction, I think Kobe was going to do more off the basketball court than he would when he was on the basketball court. He was an inspirational figure, and he was an idol to millions, and everything about Kobe Bryant in terms of the positive was concerned when he was playing was just based on basketball, which is based on his ability to play basketball, his genius of being a basketball player, of being a champion within the spectrum of being a basketball player. But outside of that, I mean, in terms of anything else other than putting a ball through the hoop, those people really didn't gravitate or idolize Kobe. No, Nobody idolized Kobe when he was playing basketball for anything but being a basketball player, which is great, which is wonderful. But it has its ceiling. It has its limitations. Now, when Kobe was done with basketball, all the trials and tribulations and everything that he went through, going from a guy who was 17 years old or 18 years old when he came into the NBA to being, uh, what, 38, 39 when he finally retired and everything that he learned in between that, that span, which for most people on this earth is like lifetimes of knowledge and wisdoms. I think he was going to take all that bring it to the second phase or the third phase of his career, the first phase of him not being a basketball player and use that to garner the adulation and garner the idolization of those. And no longer will it be kids. It would be those who would be making decisions for this country moving forward in a positive direction. So when that was taken away from him, when that uh, helicopter accident happened, it, it sucked. It really did suck. So when I think of Kobe Bryant now, I don't think of him as much of a basketball player. When he died, he was years removed from 
basketball. I mean, this wasn't a situation where a 22-year-old Kobe Bryant perished and we were left to think of, wow, what would have happened? What could have, what could have been? That type of thing. This wasn't Otis Redding dying in a plane crash December 10th, 1967 at the age of 26. This wasn't something where Salvador Sanchez dies in a car wreck at the age of 22. This isn't something where Lyman Bostock was shot and murdered by a jealous husband in East Chicago, Illinois, uh, when he was still in the prime of his playing days. This this isn't one of those things. We've got the totality of what Kobe Bryant was as a basketball player. Everything that we thought, everything that we believed Kobe Bryant could be as a basketball player was fulfilled. So his legacy as a basketball player was set in stone. That was done. That was complete. That was for the history books. Now, what was robbed of us when he died was, again, what would his impact have been moving forward to the second phase of his career? Say, for instance, his late 30s, early 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and such. What impact would he have made for the game of basketball for women? What impact could he have made for the next generation of basketball players to move this game in a positive direction? What would he have done um, as far as the society is concerned now being more confident, being more bold, being more mature, being more educated, being more aware, being more intelligent of what he could bring as far as the thoughts and the opinions about Black Lives Matter and the Me Too movement and gay and lesbian uh, situations and, 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 and information and thoughts and opinions about that. That was what we were robbed of. And uh, that's what I think about now when I take a look of Kobe Bryant and take a look when they talk about Kobe Bryant, what has robbed us. And of course, even more, the loss of his beautiful, wonderful, awesome daughter. What could have been concerning her? Kobe fulfilled his lifelong dream as far as making it to the NBA, maximizing everything he could as far as being an NBA basketball player. His childhood dreams were fulfilled. It's unfortunate that Gigi didn't have her childhood dreams fulfilled, but life sucks and you just move on. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about the Hall of Fame, Basketball Hall of Fame induction that's going to be happening this weekend, speaking about uh, Kobe Bryant going into the Hall of Fame and really speaking about Michael Jordan inducting him into the Hall of Fame, introducing him into the Hall of Fame, whatever that entails, you know, walking up with the player or walking up with the Hall of Famer and the Hall of Famer gives a special dedication and props and explains why he's the reason he was asked by that player to bring him up and introduce him. Well, whoever decides to speak for Kobe at this Hall of Fame, Michael Jordan will be bringing that person up from the Bryant family. And it's interesting because I read a really, really good story by a Hall of Famer, ESPN's Jackie McMullen, um, who, was, who wrote a really awesome story about the last text Jordan received from Kobe and how Jordan has still not erased it. He still can't bring himself to erase it. The final text message, it was dated December 8th, 2019. Kobe sent it to Jordan just after noon, uh, 12, 18 Pacific standard time. It, it said the tequila was awesome. This is what Kobe texted. The, this tequila is awesome. This was referring to Jordan's tequila, a bottle of which was self was uh, sent to Bryant at the lunch, at the launch of uh, something that he did. So Jordan replied, thank you, my brother. Yes, sir, family good, Kobe replied. All good, yours? Uh, all good. Happy holidays, Jordan's tech back. 
uh, texted back and hope you catch up soon, Coach Kobe. Uh, back at your man, Kobe wrote, hey, Coach, I'm sitting on the bench right now and we're blowing this team out 45 to 8. Kobe was not too much into, uh, you know, um, making sure that the score wasn't run up. If you couldn't stop them, that's your problem, not theirs. So that was pretty good. So 11 days following that exchange, Bryant learned that he had been officially nominated for the Hall of Fame as the first ballot entry, of course, and then 49 days later, he died in that plane crash. So I've always thought it was an interesting, I always thought it was an interesting relationship or connection that MJ and Kobe had. MJ referring to him as his little brother. The fact that Kobe, who once, when he first came into the league, was very open about saying, I want to be the best basketball player who ever lived, and I'm going to stop at nothing to be the best basketball player who ever lived. I'm not in this game to make friends. I'm not in this game to make memories. I'm not in this game to make long-lasting relationships. I'm in this game to win, to be great, and to be the greatest of all time. The fact that Kobe had that attitude, had that mindset, that Mamba mentality that he had, and to then morph or then to uh, gravitate toward Jordan like that and the way of that relationship happened, pretty awesome. It's pretty interesting. And Jordan referring to Kobe as little brother, it was really interesting as far as that is concerned. And I always thought about, you know, that relationship between Kobe and Jordan, that doesn't happen with MJ and LeBron. It's almost like, you know, they have a special bond or, you know, when you're speaking about MJ and you're speaking about Kobe and you're speaking about the type of people that they are and you're speaking about the type of lives that they've lived or they're going through right now, you speak about the rarefied air that those guys have because of their celebrity, because of their name, because of their accomplishments. It's interesting that, yeah, it's one of those like, you look, Kobe knows what I go through. Kobe knows what I've been through and I know what Kobe's going through right now. So because of that, we have sort of a confidant. We have something where I can talk to him and mentor him because he's going through something to which only someone like me has gone through. And it's interesting that in the mentorship department that MJ would reach out to Kobe, Kobe would reciprocate to that. But with LeBron, MJ doesn't do that with James. And I, I, find, that, I find that very interesting. Like, you know what, Jordan is gonna Jordan is going to extend the olive olive branch to Kobe Bryant and really be distant when it comes to LeBron James. And I don't I don't know what to make of that. I'm not gonna psychoanalyze. I don't I I just found that interesting when I was reading that story by Jackie McMullen about how much Jordan really loves this guy, and it was shown during the tribute the uh few days after Kobe died and everybody was at the Staples Center who was somebody and they gave their Kobe's the greatest and this is the reason why I love Kobe and this is what Kobe did for me and this is what Kobe means to me. And Jordan was up there in genuine tears, genuine emotion of sadness. It's amazing that he would form that relationship with Kobe Bryant but not do it with LeBron James. And I I, I don't know. I don't know. And, and, and I think the moniker, little brother, when Jordan keeps referring to Kobe as little brother. I just find that interesting because Jordan, again, he's never rarely spoke fondly or with any depth concerning the type of person or player that LeBron James is. 
It's almost like it's, uh, it's almost on the verge of annoyance. If it's like, look, I'm going to give you the LeBron is great, LeBron is awesome, LeBron has done a lot, LeBron is a great player, this, that, and the other, and that's about all I'm going. That's about all I'm giving you. And you know what? My relationship with him, that's about all I can give you. If I gave you anything else, I would be guessing because I'm really not close to LeBron. I'm, I really don't care about LeBron. If you ask me what LeBron's number is, I probably wouldn't be able to tell you because I don't know. When was the last time I talked to LeBron James? I have no idea. Could be years. I don't know. I've got other things going on. I really don't concern myself with LeBron James. It's interesting that Jordan has that. And look, I'm I'm from the outside looking in. So maybe on the, on the DL that those guys really have a deeper relationship than what I'm presenting to you right now. But I've never heard publicly Jordan speak as fondly of LeBron as he's done with Kobe. Now look, Kobe, LeBron... Different relationship. Understood that Kobe came into the league when LeBron. Uh, Kobe came into the league when uh, MJ was still playing. It was Kobe who basically just did everything humanly possible to try to be like him. Would call him up at all hours of the night to ask him about things. Try to soak in everything that Jordan had learned, and maybe that admiration and the thought and the knowledge of Jordan that man Kobe is going to be one of these guys to where you know what if I do pass this knowledge to him it ain't going to be it, it, it isn't going to be wasted and I'm quite sure if it was someone like a Vince Carter especially during the Toronto days if it was any of the other former next Michael Jordans which the league kept trying to shove down our throats whether it was Harold Miner whether it was Vince Carter whether, whether it was any of these other guys maybe Jordan's reluctance to be close and to have a relationship and to be a mentor to these guys. Maybe he thought, well, why am I going to be a mentor to these guys? These guys don't have the same drive. These guys don't have the same passion. These guys don't have the same vision. These guys don't have the same goals. And the passion and the desire to achieve everything that these guys have in them, these guys don't have that. These guys don't have that work ethic. These guys don't have that belief. Now, seeing this young buck, Kobe Bryant, yeah, yeah. This is the one. Yeah, this is going to be the guy. And he has shown me over and over again that this is the guy who's going to want to do this. So my teachings and my learning and my mentorship and my relationship and my, you know, opening my arms to him, it's going to be worth something because Kobe's going to take all this and he's going to maximize all this. So yeah, I'm down. I'll open up with that. Maybe that was... A relationship that LeBron couldn't have with MJ because by the time LeBron got into the league in 2003, MJ was gone. So unique relationships built differently because, as I mentioned before, MJ was still in his prime when Kobe came into the league and was building his shit. Interesting, speaking of Kobe's greatness, there was a time when Jordan was with the Wizards and... Kobe was with the Lakers, and I don't know who arranged the deal. This is one of the first times that these guys, you know, had a chance to meet and talk and these type of things. It was at the Staples Center. The Wizards were in town to play the Lakers. This is when the Lakers were rolling, so Kobe had to be about 20-21 at the time. And I think it was either Doug Collins or Phil Jackson, one of those two, that they wanted to set up a meeting, set up an introduction between MJ and Kobe. So... After the game was over, and I think Kobe had dropped like 40 on him or something like this. Again, this is when Jordan was with the Wizards, long past his prime. So Kobe comes walking into the room where Jordan is, and the first thing he says to 
MJ is, you know what? I bet you I could drop 48 points on you right now. Or I bet you I could put 40 on you right now or some nonsense like that. And Jordan just kind of looked at him and said, yeah, I sure hope you can. I'm 39 years old and you're 19. So I, I hope that you can do all that stuff to me. I hope you can, you know, go ahead and do all that type of stuff. But that look, but that just showed you the determination and the cockiness and the arrogance and the self-entitledness and the not being aware of Kobe Bryant, which A, was a detriment, but B, also was that we can harness this in the right direction. We got ourselves a guy here who could go down as one of the all-time greats. Maybe in that exchange of arrogance and disrespect that Kobe said, hey, you know what? I'm Excuse me. That MJ said, you know what? There's something here that I can work with with this guy. And if he keeps up that same attitude, if he keeps up that same drive, if he keeps up that same confidence as he matures and it grows and it ferments into something that's positive, we've got ourselves an all-time great basketball player here. So maybe it was something like that. But just speaking on the relationship and why Jordan and Kobe's relationship is so much deeper and so much um, closer than MJ and LeBron. I don't know. I, I think a little bit goes to a little bit of, I don't know, insecurity. I don't think it's jealousy, but I mean, Kobe didn't have as great as Kobe was. Kobe didn't have the same impact on the league as Jordan. And Kobe had to go through the same bullshit that LeBron James had to go through in terms of, you're never going to be as good as Jordan. I don't care what you do. I mean, everybody forgets now because Kobe's a legend and Kobe is past. If you were there through his entire career, especially the first part of his career, especially after the Colorado incidents, that, uh, you know, this Kobe got a lot of flack. Kobe got a lot of bullshit from the Jordan lovers, from the Jordan sheep, because just like LeBron with Kobe, anytime you mention that Kobe might have a chance, could have a chance, similar chance to be as great as Michael Jordan. Oh my goodness gracious, the Jordan fans, the Jordan sick fans would come out. Oh no way, this, that, and the other, this, that, and the other. Kobe raped somebody and this, that, and the other. And Shaq was the one who was responsible for winning all those championships and not Kobe. And he's a great scorer, but that's all he's all about. He's all about scoring. He's not about winning championships unless Shaq is there. And he's only concerned about winning scoring titles and not championships and all of that bullshit, all of that minutia, all of that palaver that the Jordanaires, that the Jordan fans would go on with Kobe on and on and on. It got to the point where that was the one thing, the rape accusation in Colorado, going through all of that, almost losing his family, almost losing his wife, then the trade of Shaq and having to go through the Bush Parker years and having to go through the years where the Lakers, as far as championship teams, was irrelevant. And then the stroke of Mitch Kupchak to go ahead and get themselves Paul Gasol to get themselves back into elite status where they could win more championships. And this time, without a shadow of a doubt, that Kobe Bryant was going to be the one that was the leader head, that was the central figure, that was the star player for them winning championships. He didn't have to have the debate about who was more responsible for winning championships, Shaq or Kobe. It wasn't something where they had to share billing, top billing. Kobe Bryant was the face of that franchise. Kobe Bryant was the man. And by the time that Phil Jackson came around, and they beat the Boston Celtics to win their NBA championship, despite the fact that the year before they had gotten blown out by the Celtics in six games, Kobe was at the height of his powers. Kobe was the man. And it was only then that Kobe said, you know what, 
I'm going to stop trying to be the greatest basketball player who ever lived. I'm going to try to stop being Michael Jordan because it, it, it's not going to make any difference. It's not going to do anything. I, I'm, I'm just going to be the best Kobe Bryant that I'm going to be. And then we'll let everything, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll let everything else fall into place. Now that's when he started to become more of a mentor to guys like Dwayne Wade and Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant and James Harden and Camelo Anthony, and then ultimately Le LeBron James. That's when he finally dropped the I want to be like Mike moniker and said, I want to be like Kobe Bryant. Then he actually found that, that found out that, you know what? Being like Kobe Bryant is pretty good. I kind of like being Kobe Bryant. I kind of like being like me. I kind of like doing my thing. So you know what? I want to be a little bit more bold. I want to be a little bit more confident in some of the things I do other than putting a basketball through a hoop. So it took Kobe about what, eight, nine years in the league, 27, 28 years old. So we're speaking about nine, 10 years in the league before he finally said, I am fucking through of trying to be Michael Jordan. But even through all that, the relationship between Jordan and Kobe remained. So again, I'm, I'm just trying to think out loud. And I'm just trying to convey to you exactly the relationship, what the difference between the closeness of the relationship between Jordan and Kobe and then Jordan and MJ. Because, uh, I mean, as I mentioned before, Kobe was great. And Kobe being the face of the league was awesome. But the greater impact on this league has been made with LeBron James. And I really think, in terms of his longer dominance of who's the man, I think LeBron's run at the top dog in the NBA was longer than Kobe's. And I think it was more impactful than Kobe's. And I think when everything is all said and done, when we're speaking about the best players who've ever played the game, again, the only person who's going to be up there from the past 15, 20 years who can be up there with the Wilts and the um, Kareems and the Bill Russells and the Michael Jordans and the Magic Johnsons and the Larry Birds is going to be LeBron James. Kevin Durant might have a chance when everything is all said and done 15 years from now, maybe it's Luka, maybe it's Giannis, maybe it's Zion, maybe it's going to be somebody like Imani Bates, maybe it's going to be um, someone of name that we don't know yet. But as of right now, Jordan is now having some contemporaries that's going to be going after him, and his name is LeBron James. I mean, you know, look, Jordan has always said, you know what, I can't say that I'm the best player of all time because I never played against Oscar Robertson. I never played against Wilt Chamberlain. I never played against um, Bill Russell and all of those guys. So because I didn't play against them, you can't say unequivocally that I'm the best player who's ever played the game. Well, I mean, now we have someone like a LeBron James who's coming in after Michael Jordan who's getting the same rub that Michael Jordan got when he was being compared to Julius Irving and all of those great legends. Now you have the LeBron James generation who's saying Jordan ain't shit. LeBron is the best player in the NBA. You never had that too much with Kobe Bryant. So I think it was easier for Michael Jordan to extend his friendship and mentorship to someone like a Kobe than it would be like someone like a uh, LeBron James. I mentioned before, man, I've, I've never heard MJ speak fondly of LeBron James. Never have. I never have. So it's interesting. I don't think LeBron James is going to be anybody's little brother. I don't think that LeBron James 
is going to be anybody's. You know, LeBron James, when he first came into the league, he said, look, my situation is so unique. I'm going to defer going to the old school guys and ask them how this is done because they don't know how my journey is going to go because they haven't been through the same journey that I've been through. So I remember in the first couple of years of his career, I remember when um, someone was asking LeBron, I mean, is there any of the old school cats? Is there any of the the Jordans or the Magics or anybody that you kind of, uh, you know, called or you've kind of asked for their advice and their mentorship and their help or their answer any of those questions? And LeBron was like, no, I didn't. I'm not asking any of those guys. Not that I'm not out of disrespect. It's just that, you know, I'm following the path. I'm going through a journey that uh, they haven't been through yet or they never been through. So, you know, I don't know how much really they can tell me. Now, through the years, age, maturity and such, LeBron has reached out to guys like Isaiah Thomas, guys like Jerry West, guys like Magic Johnson and such, and gotten their thoughts and feelings. But at the beginning, nah, he was like, you know what? I don't, I don't need any of those guys. I'm not going to be running over to Michael Jordan and say, please, please, please teach me everything. Maybe for Jordan, that was something where it was like, okay, you want to go ahead and try to do this by yourself? Fine. Kobe was willing and wanting to learn from me. You're not going to be able to do that because you feel that you don't need me to do that? Okay, fine. And then as LeBron progresses in his career, you start hearing the whispers, is LeBron better than Jordan? That might anger. That might have Jordan be a little bit resentful, jealous, envious, whatever it is, whatever that emotion is, it caused Jordan not to have any type of relationship at all with LeBron. It'll be interesting once LeBron retires from the NBA, Years down the road, when all those guys are old and gray and fat and look like me, as far as like age-wise, if there's going to be any type of friendship built or any type of um, mutual friendship between MJ and LeBron, where both of those guys can be yelling and screaming about anybody who dares to think that, you know, in, in the year 2034, when people, when Lucas' generation starts yelling and screaming about he's the greatest basketball player who's ever lived, whether the generation who back LeBron and MJ are going to sit there and say, are you fucking crazy? Are you nuts? And maybe that would bring Jordan and LeBron together in terms of a mutual reason for those guys to get together, talk with each other, learn about each other, and who knows, maybe build a friendship off of that. Kobe, Kobe, I don't know if Kobe taught, uh, taught MJ anything. You know what I mean? MJ was the one who kind of paved the way for Kobe to run his basketball life, his NBA life. LeBron didn't use the MJ model for his basketball career. You know, he he, he wasn't interested in Republicans buying sneakers unless, you know, they were true and getting down and this, that, and the other. He was a guy who was the who wanted to be more like Muhammad Ali than to be like Mike in terms of being out there for social issues. He wanted to be that throwback guy, speaking of LeBron, when it came to social issues, when it came to Black Lives Matter, when it came to those type of things. He wasn't, he wasn't ashamed. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't silent when those things came up. He looked at Jim Brown. He looked at Bill Russell. He looked at Muhammad Ali and said, that's the direction I want to go. And Jordan wasn't about that. Jordan cut, got cut from the same cloth as, uh, you know, Tiger Woods and such. So we'll see. We'll see about how that's going down. But I'm interested in hearing all of the speeches, most of the speeches for this Basketball Hall of Fame induction ceremony that's coming up on Saturday 
And interesting again to uh, hear some more thoughts and feelings about the relationship between Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and say, man, wouldn't it be interesting? Wouldn't it be very interesting to hear truly what LeBron James, what, uh, excuse me, what um, Michael Jordan thinks as far as a human being, a person in depth about LeBron James. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us this final segment of the program, the dessert round, shall I say, for Wendell's World of Sports podcast. That was Canelo Alvarez. Canelo Alvarez, the pound-for-pound champion of the boxing game, was in action Saturday night, this past Saturday night. Stopped Billy Joe Saunders after the eighth round when Saunders' right eye was swollen, broken, whatever you want to say it. Eddie, Eddie Hearn, the promoter, said that trainer Mike Tibbs made the decision to stop the fight after the eighth round with Canelo being up on the cards 78-74 twice and 77-75. Yahoo Sports had it 78-74 for Canelo. I thought it was a closer fight. I thought it was a competitive fight. I thought, though, that if the fight was going to continue like this, that being where it was, being the location of the fight, that Canelo was going to win and win a unanimous decision. If this fight was over in England, if this fight was over at Wembley Stadium, if this fight was over, you know, in London, England, I think that it might have been a little bit different. And you're also speaking about Canelo being the pound-for-pound champion, being the guy who was the headliner, the star of the show, shall we say. So Saunders was going to have to do a lot to go ahead and unseat the champion, and I don't think that he was doing enough. He was doing enough to make it competitive. He was doing enough to make it interesting after the last couple of fights by Canelo. He was making it a lot better than, you know, what Liam Smith gave us and what a couple of other uh, fighters gave us. This wasn't Rocky Fielding at all when fighting Alvarez. So I appreciated Saunders for that. But um, the way things were going, the location of the fight, um, if it was going to continue like this, Canelo, I thought, was going to be able to take it in a fight which he had the advantage. He's the champ, he's the man, he's the star, and he's fighting in front of his homeboys and homegirls out there in Dallas, Texas. So Saunders was taken to a local hospital for x-rays with a, with a, I guess you could say a broken face, right? He broke his uh, orbital balloon or some nonsense like that. So there you go. So now moving on for it, it. Before I get on to that, 
just have to say once again how absolutely fantastic and electric the crowd was. 73,000, a new indoor record to watch a boxing match, breaking breaking the record set by the second Leon Spinks versus Muhammad Ali fight down in the Superdome. The crowd was electric after being after watching sports for so long without any noise, without any type of crowds, very small crowds. Uh, in the arenas, in the stadiums. I thought it was absolutely awesome, especially in that eighth round where Canelo started putting his hands up and urging the crowd to get louder and get louder. And you saw the crowd just pop with excitement and pop with electricity. The sight of a of a kill brought the the bloodlust from the fans. So that was fantastic, man. It was like, yeah, you know what? You guys might be breaking every COVID protocol that there is, but man, I'm sure glad that, uh, you know, you guys are there call it a boxing match, call it a super spreader event, whatever it was, it was absolutely awesome to see the fans back in the stadium and back into uh, that atmosphere, especially when you're speaking about a boxing match, especially when you're speaking about a Canelo Alvarez match and the connection now that he has with his Mexican fans and the fact of how big of a star he is within the boxing community, within the Hispanic community, within the Mexican community. Thought it was awesome, man. Canelo was a crossover star. He's the only one right now that we've got going in the state of boxing. He is the LeBron James. He is the Lionel Messi. He is the Tom Brady. He is the guy for that sport. I mean, he's right up there. In terms of folks who might not know boxing, they know Manny Pacquiao, they know Floyd Mayweather, and now they know Canelo Alvarez. So, sorry, Ryan Garcia is going to have to wait a little bit more. Tamafilo Lopez is going to have to wait. I'm quite sure in London, England, and on the European side of this globe that Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua are big deals, especially if you're speaking about Joshua over in uh, England, over in that region of the world where 90,000 people will go watch him fight. But just in terms of North America is concerned, hey man, you know, Canelo Alvarez is right up there with the rest of the folks in other sports who are trying to build their brand and their recognition. He is right up there and he does it with a one-two and solid body body shots and great boxing and great defense and great charisma. And uh, there you go. There you go. One of the great things now moving forward the fact that Alvarez is seeking to become the first Mexican-born fighter to hold all four major belts, says that he wanted to face IBF champion Caleb Plant next, likely in September. You know, the schedule for Canelo is you fight once in May, you fight again in September, and you roll it back. You fight the Cinco de Mayo weekend, and then you fight um, September 9th or the uh, first part of December. If boxing... And look, you know, we're speaking about fighting here. So you're speaking about injury, you're speaking about boxing, you're speaking about promotions, you're speaking about promoters. It's not easy to get a mega fight going. It's not easy to get two top pound-for-pound guys, or it's not easy to put super fights. That's why they're super fights. Super fights should be something to where it's like once every couple of years or something like that, where you get, I mean, if we're going to have, say, for instance, Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury, and then, you know, have some other mega fights. That would be awesome. But I think that those things should happen like once every couple of months. And then the mega, 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 mega fights, those should be once every couple of years. Because if you have mega, mega, mega fights once a week or once a month, it loses some of its uh, excitement. It loses some of its interest. It loses some of its enthusiasm. Now, I don't want the fight to be 
past the expiration date to where it's a, it's a farcical of what could have been, for instance, the Manny Pacquiao versus Floyd Mayweather fight, which was three to four years too late by the time they got things going. It looks now like we could be seeing the same thing happening to a fight like Errol Spence versus uh, Bud Crawford, to where those guys seemingly aren't interested in fighting each other. And by the time they get to fighting each other, what Crawford's going to be, what, in his mid to late 30s, and Spence is going to be in his 30s. And, you know, we're going to be talking about what could have been if these guys would have got it on five years uh, later, so, or five years earlier. So, you know, I'm not talking about spacing out mega, mega fights to that extreme. But man, you know what? Every great champion or every interesting, entertaining boxer, man, we should have it to where it's like every other month, a Tyson Fury, a Anthony Joshua, a Canelo Alvarez, a fighter of that ilk should be fighting, you know, every other month. So look, we don't want to have Canelo fighting five times a year. If he's going to fight five times a year, three of those are going to be absolute tomato cans, and the two of them are going to be uh, fighters of consequence. But, you know, as far as a competitive fight is concerned, defending your title, this, that, and the other, I would love to see these champions fight twice a year. That should be pretty good. And in the meantime, we fill that up with some really good matches between guys who aren't champions but are still going to be able to put on a fantastic performance. I told my man Armando Vasquez this, and I mean it, that, you know what, as far as... Like entertainment, entertainment is concerned. Give me two Mexican boxers fighting every other weekend, and I will be happy as a clam and clam bake. What? I'll be happy as a, I'll be happy as a kleptomaniac who had the keys to the candy store. I mean, I would be excited beyond belief if every other week you gave me two Mexican fighters, and they don't have to be champions. They don't have to be highly a uh, skill or highly rated. We're not talking about a Ryan Garcia, even though it would be nice. We're not talking about a Timofeo Lopez fighting, even though it would be nice. But just to give me two Mexican flyweights. Give me Chocolatito-type Gonzalez-type fights every other week. Give me two Mexican fighters in their fighting and watch this sport grow more than any other sport. You're speaking about the temperature in terms of how hot and cold this sport can be. Man, you give me two Mexicans fighting, you're going to see the temperature of that sport heat up and heat up quickly because there's nothing in sports as far as combat sports or even regular sports that is more exciting that is more entertaining than seeing two Mexican fighters get it on especially if we're talking about lightweights if we're talking about flyweights if we're talking about that type of range in terms of the uh, pound for pound is concerned 155 somewhere around there you talk about getting two Mexicans in there wailing away on each other Man, it's awesome. And bring me a Mexican crowd in there. Man, it's going to be awesome. But me, give me some more fights in Texas. Give me some more fights in San Antonio. Give me some more fights in New Mexico. Give me some more fights in the uh, regions where the Hispanic community is big. Man, give me those type of fights, man. And uh, you've got a sport in boxing, which is going to be extremely entertaining and can be beneficial and helpful and financially uh, great for everyone involved. So there you go. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Did you hear Canelo talking shit at the end of the fight? Did you hear him go up with Demetrius Andre when he was talking about when we're going to get it together and Canelo talking shit in English, laying the smackdown on Demetrius Andre? Sounded something like this.
Oh man. <laughs> Thank you, my man. Thank you. Thank you. Big fan. Thank you. I know. I know that. Man, you fight with nobody. Hey, you are a champion, but are you? What? Hey, you fight with nobody, man. You won the belt with nobody. Get the fuck out of here, man. Please, get the fuck out of here, man. It's my night. Who are fighting for you? Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. Why do you fuck you? Don't talk to my dad like that. I fuck you. We don't get sex. Hey, get the fuck out of here because I'm, I'm gonna fuck you up right now. Come, 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 Oh, hey, oh, you are a good fighter, man. You never gonna get a fight, man. You are a good, horrible fighter. Horrible fighter. Horrible fighter. Okay, next question. Just payday, payday. You want payday? I know that. Watch your mouth, bro. Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. When I see you, it's on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see you outside, yeah, yeah, man. Get the fuck out of here, man. Get the fuck out of here. Horrible fighter, horrible. And if you take a look at the clip, if you go YouTube it, here's Demetrius Andre and his father up there trying to bum rush the guy like... I mean, like, come on, Pops, what the fuck are you going to do if you get up there? Like, like all of a sudden, Canelo's supposed to be like, ooh, someone hold back his father. I don't want to be have to deal with him. Come on, old man, you know, get, get, relax a little bit. You ain't going to do nothing, but you ain't going to do nothing to Canelo. Keep your distance away from Canelo, even though you might be pretty confident that Canelo ain't going to be punching an old man. But still, I mean, you know, just, and I understand Demetrius Andre. It's hard for him to get fights, but still, I mean, you know, he's 160 pounds. Would he come up to 168 to uh, get that lottery ticket, to uh, get that uh, cash that lottery ticket to fight Canelo for the amount of money that he can get? Sure, I can understand him bum-rushing the uh, press conference. I, I get that. But, um, you know, you need a better strategy just to uh, deal with Canelo. I guess he surprised him. I guess Canelo surprised everybody. Talking shit like that and talking shit in English? That's next level, my man. That is next level. And he's still keeping it 100% real because he still has that Mexican accent going on. So love it. Absolutely love it. Boxing is one of the few sports, man. Boxing and MMA, any type of combat sports. Talking shit is a good thing. Talking shit is awesome. I mean, when people are talking about, look, I'm the greatest, I'm the best fighter in the world, and I'm going to prove it every single night, and the guy that's fighting against me, he has no chance. I'm going to take him apart, I'm going to break him down, and I'm going to win, and I'm going to be the champion. End of discussion. In the world of boxing or mixed martial arts, that's nothing. That's tame. If you sit up here and say, look, I'm the best fighter out there. I'm the best fighter in the world. I am the champion. I'm going to be the champion for a long time. Nobody out there can beat me. I'm unbeatable. 
I'm going to go down as one of the greatest of all time, period, end of discussion. That's not trash talking. No one sits there and goes, ooh, man, unbelievable. Before a fight, before a big contest, one guy is saying, look, I'm going to be the new champion. I'm going to break this guy down. This guy doesn't have a chance against me. I'm going to walk in there. I'm going to dominate. I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to be great. I'm going to be the new champion of the world. This guy doesn't have a chance. I'm going to be the shit. I am the man. I'm going to show you that I'm the man. The champion said, this guy doesn't have a chance against me. I'm the best fighter in the world. I'm a champion for the reason. I'm a champion because I'm great. I'm going to continue to be great. I'm going to continue to be the best in the world. And I'm going to display my dominance. I'm going to display my excellence on Saturday night, whatever, whatever date, by beating this guy up, by taking this man's heart, by taking this man's cojones, by taking this man's soul, by taking this man's heart. And I'm going to remain the best fighter out there, the greatest fighter out there. I'm going to be continuing to be the champion of the world. Those two exchanges doesn't even register on anyone's radar as far as trash talking or headline stuff or billboard material, nothing like that in the fight game, nothing. Could you imagine before the Super Bowl, this past Super Bowl, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers playing the um, Kansas City defending champions, could you imagine if Tom Brady went out there and said, let me tell you all something right now. I might be 43 years old. Name me someone who's 43 years old who's still doing what I'm doing. Name me a 43-year-old as great as I am that could get this team in the position that it's in right now. Name me somebody who's won six championships. Name me somebody with the accolades and the accomplishments that I have. Name me someone with the greatness that I've had that's going to be at 43 years old, going to march into Raymond James Stadium for this Super Bowl, and in front of 20,000 people, I'm going to show the world that I still got it. I'm going to show the world that I am a champion. I'm going to show the world that I am the greatest of all time, and I I'm going to win this championship. Kansas City doesn't have a chance. If Tyron Matthew think that he's going to do anything against me, he's got another thing's coming. He's too slow. He's too short. He's too undisciplined. And I'm going to exploit every single aspect of that below average of that underrated, oh, excuse me, overrated defense, which is the Kansas City defending champions. Their nickname is garbage. We're the best team in the NFL. I'm the best quarterback in the league. I beat Aaron Rodgers. I beat all the other contenders. I'm going to beat the so-called Best quarterback in the league on Sunday. You watch my greatness. Stay tuned. If Tom Brady would have been given that type of, uh, if Tom Brady would have given that type of speech, given that type of statement during the Super Bowl week, do you, um, couldn't you imagine the hours upon hours upon hours of discussion that would have brought? Those guys would have been breaking that bad boy down on the Mike Greenberg TV show, on the Shannon the Skip show, on the Nick Wright show, on the, on the uh, I don't know, on the uh, other shows out there, on SportsCenter, everything, the PTI, Around the Horn. Those guys would have been breaking down that statement, would have been breaking down that, 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 that trash talk that Tom Brady would have said line by line, word by word, syllable by syllable. Every single solitary day, Laura Rutledge and on the NFL Live, those guys would have been just breaking it down every single way. Ryan Clark and those guys, goodness gracious, if Tom Brady would have said something like that. In the world of mixed martial arts and boxing, it's like, eh, okay, moving on, next. And Patrick Mahomes would have came out and said, you name me somebody out there right now. Going into this Super Bowl, we have a chance to become back-to-back Super Bowl champions. Here I am at the age of 25, 
already considered one of the greatest of all time. Name me someone in the annals of NFL history who have done what I've done. Name me someone in the history of the NFL who has been as dominant as I have since coming into the league. Name me someone at my age who's already performed the magical feats and the magical things and has had the success that I've had. Name me someone at my age in the history of the NFL that has come into this league and has turned it upside down. Not only am I breaking records, I'm rewriting records. In a few years, I'll be breaking the records that I write. That's how great I am. I'm doing it all. I'm already influencing the younger generation. You guys talking about who's going to be the next standard bearer? I am the standard bearer already. I don't need to wait for Aaron Rodgers. I don't need to wait for Drew Brees. I don't need to wait for Tom Brady to retire. I've already superseded them. I've already surpassed them. I've already accumulated more of my greatness in a couple of years than they've had for a lifetime in the NFL. You guys gave Aaron Rodgers the MVP. That was a sympathy award. Everyone knows who the greatest football player in the world is. Everybody knows whose jersey is most recognized. Everybody knows who the face of this league. Everybody knows the face that runs the place in this in this league. His name is Patrick Mahomes. You're looking at this handsome clown right here. You're going to try to tell me that I'm supposed to be scared. I'm supposed to be intimidated. I'm supposed to be thinking that Tom Brady and that Tampa Bay Buccaneer defense is going to be a challenge for me. I've already obliterated every challenge that they've had in this league. Everything, every obstacle that they put before me, I've already obliterated and already moved and already set aside and already sent it to entire retirement. And after I'm done with the Super Bowl, I'm going to guarantee you one thing. Not only am I going to embarrass the defense led by Todd Bowles of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not only am I going to destroy that defense led by Todd Bowles of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not only am I going to be setting records, breaking records, and we are going to repeat as champions on Sunday. After this game is over, we're going to be beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers so badly that I'm going to be performing so great out there on Sunday that Tom Brady, he's going to retire. Tom Brady, the man who wants to play football until he's 114 years old, he's going to be retiring 114 seconds after that beatdown that I put on that team, after that magical performance that I put on that team, after I show the world who truly is the best quarterback, who's the best player, who is the magnificent performer in this league. His name is Patrick Mahomes. Me, you're looking at him. Drop the mic. I'm done. Peace, bitches. Woo. Man, I tell you what, man. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. In the world of boxing and MMA, that's that doesn't that 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 rant that rambling rant that I did just there. If I was Patrick Mahomes, in the world of boxing and the world of MMA, that wouldn't even get a soul clap. That wouldn't even get a a, a gentle applause. That wouldn't even get a respectful applause. It'd be like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, we know, we know, we know. But in other sports. If LeBron, ooh, could you imagine if LeBron James said that? Good, I think I think half the world would implode if LeBron James said something like that. If, if LeBron James was that boastful, if LeBron James was that confident, or some might say if LeBron James was that arrogant to say something like that, man, could you imagine the fodder of any other sport? But in boxing, you can do what Canelo Alvarez did. I mean, LeBron James can go do a press conference. After the uh, after winning the championship and Jimmy Butler comes in to his press conference after the Lakers beat the Miami Heat for the championship and Jimmy can be like, hey, you know what, LeBron, good job. You guys are the champion, but I want to let you know that, you know what, we ain't going nowhere. We're going to run this back next season and tell you what, it's going to be a different outcome. And if LeBron James saw Jimmy Butler in his press conference and he said, get the fuck out of here, 
Get the fuck out of here. Horrible basketball player. Horrible. Horrible. Get this. He's a kid. He's a kid. Get him out of here. If LeBron James said some shit like that, woo! The sports world would explode and implode. I don't know, man. They might. That that, that would be enough material for Fox, for uh, uh, Fox Sports to give Skip $10 million a year instead of the $8 million that he's robbing from those guys. Uh, for doing what he does. So, yeah, man. I, I the, the boxing game is something else. And that adds another layer of why, what makes it more unique, the fight game, what makes it more unique in terms of if they ever get it right, how the smacking talk game could add even more interest and more intrigue for those who might not be fans of the boxing game, who might still be stuck in the... Oh, I remember when the heavyweights were great when you had George Foreman and Joe Frazier and Ken Norton and Jerry Cooney and Muhammad Ali. And then you moved to the 80s and you had Hagler, Hearns, and Leonard. And oh, my goodness gracious. And then you moved to the 90s and you got Tyson and you got Holyfield. And going back to the 80s, you got Roberto Duran and you got Sugar Ray Leonard. And then moving back to the 90s again, you've got, uh, you know, Holyfield and Tyson and all these great guys and Oscar De La Hoya and... Oh, we're reminiscing about the good old days, the Sugar Shane Mosleys and all this, that, and the other. Well, I mean, you know, boxing has enough superstars out there to um, keep the sport going at a higher level than it is right now. But, you know, the talk and smack is awesome. So, power to Canelo Alvarez, special dedication to Canelo Alvarez for uh, talking that shit. And thank you for Demetrius Andre for putting yourself in position to be called a kid a horrible fighter, and to be told to get the fuck out of here. Awesome. Awesome stuff. All right, man, I am done. Next week is going to be interesting. I'm not going to be doing any podcast next week because I'm going to be spending the week in Mesquite teaching the younger generation how to take care of us when we get old. You're welcome. And uh, so you're not going to have access to anything in terms of uh, putting some stuff down. So I'm going to be up in Mesquite doing my thing, sitting in the hotel room, watching the play-in games of the NBA tournament, going up to St. George to maybe get some dinner, coming on back, and, uh, you know, just getting ready to do my thing as far as the educational field is concerned. So next weekend, I guess, will be the time that I'll be bringing up something new in terms of a podcast that's concerned, but, uh, you know, hang in there. Y'all will live. So, peace upon those who listen to my podcast. I'm going to Send y'all out with a little bit of James Carr, one of the most underrated soul singers of the 1960s. He wasn't Otis. He wasn't James. He wasn't Sam and Dave. He wasn't Percy Sledge. He wasn't any of those guys because of personal situations. But uh, an underrated performer, voice, and artist was James Carr. So we'll leave with one of my favorites, which I've been jamming to for the last uh, couple of days. And next week in Mesquite, I'll be jamming to James Carr on the regular. So y'all be good. Y'all be safe. Y'all take care of each other. Live, learn, educate. Do what you can to move this life, to move your life, to move this society in a peaceful, harmonious direction. That's what we need now more than ever. Mr. Carr, if you would, please. There's a light, a certain kind of light. Shines on me. I want my life to be here with you, to live with you. 
way I love you. 